gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Hello and welcome to this Monday, March 12th, 2018 edition of the Hagman Report. We had uh, our daylight savings time over the weekend. Uh, I don't know, that came up on me unexpectedly. I was uh, thrown off by that. Sorry, did not see that coming until the clocks were changed on Sunday morning. So I hope everybody adjusted. Okay, we got a great show lined up for you today. John is sitting in place of my father who has a number of meetings. He has one tonight and one tomorrow morning business related so john is filling in also we have a great show lined up for you today we have joining us in the first hour jim hoft from the gateway pundit he's the editor-in-chief of the gateway pundit very popular website right at the tip of the spear and he's going to be joining us to break down some of the important news and current events happening in our world today then we have uh colonel sarges singari He's been a guest several times on the show in the past, but he is doing something different this time. He's running for Congress in the upcoming 2018 midterm election. And I believe, John, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said the Illinois 9th District? Yeah, uh, Sargas uh, joins us this evening. He uh, announced his candidacy for the 9th District of Illinois a couple of months ago. Okay. And uh, I had a chance to speak with his publicist, Bill McIntosh, yesterday. And he's he's facing some challenges, but he's also got a strong platform. So I'm looking well, forward gonna, to hearing from him. We're going to hear about that when he comes on. And then Monday, it's Monday, so in third hour, we have Peter Chowka, who joins us each and every Monday in hour number three. And I would urge everybody to go to HagmanReport.com. There you can check out the latest content that's up. John wrote a great article that's up there from last night. We're going to be talking about that today, as well as two pieces from Peter Chowka. Uh, one, it's time for Juan Williams to go. And then two, Vice President Mike Pence makes Hannity tonight, Monday, March 12th. And we're going to, I'm sure, talk about uh, those two stories with Peter Barry Chowka. Now, as far as news goes, <clears throat> we are going to get into to John's piece and what is going on with the new media and how we are battling censorship, how we are battling so many things in a new, kind of a new battle this last week uh, reared its ugly head, and that is the illegal detention of United States political activists in other countries like the U.K., where we saw some of our own former Hagman Report guests uh, being detained and not charged, released after 48, 72 hours. And we're going to talk about what is behind that. But opening tonight, let's do this and talk about what is going on in Austin. There have been three bomb bombings, I guess. Uh, yeah, bombings. Third time this month, there were two explosions. I believe two explosions today were hand-delivered boxes were placed outside of somebody's house or residence or an apartment complex. And when the person, I, I believe the latest victim was a 75-year-old woman or a 70-year-old woman, picked up the box, it detonated or exploded. Now, from the information that we have so far, it doesn't seem like these bombs are being mailed. It also doesn't seem like they're very sophisticated. Now, when I say that, they seem more crude than, than well uh, methodically planned out. 
the latest person who was hit was injured very severely in intensive care might not make it. But you'd think uh, somebody who is using explosives as their method of violence or terror would be, if they're sophisticated enough to create these devices and plant them undetected, you'd think that they would be, I don't know, am I wrong? To think that they would be more, uh, there'd be more of a boom there. This, so we have two two explosions today, and I believe both people survived. And there was one earlier this month where, um, I'm sorry, they did kill a teenager and wounded two women in Austin. So two package bombs blasted a few miles apart, killing a teenager and wounding two women in Austin Monday, less than two weeks after a similar attack left a man dead in another part of the Texas Capitol. Okay, I apologize. I had my facts wrong from what I understood. I, I thought these people were only injured, but there have been deaths, so this makes it even more serious. So the first of Monday's attacks killed a 17-year-old boy and wounded a 40-year-old woman. Both of them were African-American, according to the police chief, who held a news conference today. Authorities were called to the scene of another explosion that injured a 75-year-old Hispanic woman. She was taken to the hospital with potentially life-threatening injuries. Now, the police have no uh, as they said, they're just starting out their investigation into this. They don't understand what the motive is. They don't know even if the people who were hurt or killed in these bombings were the intended targets or if this person is you know, doing this just in order to create chaos and the intended targets are the victims who happen across his packages. Either way, it's a, a terrible situation. Austin, Texas is also the home uh, where InfoWars is, and I know that they've been doing a lot of live coverage of this event there. But looking at the map, I saw this earlier. Um, I don't know if there's any pattern here, but it's almost like a straight line through some different residential neighborhoods where these last three bombings took place. And it's a very uh, frightening situation, I imagine, for people in Austin. They're urging anybody, if you if you see a, a package that looks out of place, any delivery you get where you were not expecting one, to call authorities. But just a, a crazy situation. Uh, you know, the the something obviously wrong with somebody if you're running around bombing innocent people with no rhyme or reason it is a crazy world and you know we don't have to make the case but this goes to show you you don't need guns to create mass carnage and hopefully they catch this monster soon question for you joe at first blush do you suspect that this is uh, politically motivated or does this this has sort of a feeling to me of almost a some kind of crazed person yeah, or some, no. somebody with a beef against society is 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 not how politically. This uh, I would say no, not politically motivated. The reason I would say that is because we haven't seen him at any uh, news organizations. We haven't seen him at the you know Capitol buildings or at the state houses or government buildings. There, these are hitting residential neighborhoods with it. Just seems uh, you know average everyday citizens. So I don't believe that we have. Uh, it doesn't seem that there's a racial component or a political component at this time. It seems like it's just a crazed person going around doing this. So that makes it, you know, all the harder um, to to find him. And they do ask the question on the Drudge Report from Yahoo News, is this a hate crime? Texas package bombs probed as possible hate crimes. As two parcel bombs rattled the city of Austin Monday, 10 days after a similar blast. Now, they uh, I know that the, the lady who was injured today was a 75-year-old Spanish woman, I believe, and then they said that the two that were killed, uh, the twin bombings, followed an initial blast on March 2nd when a 39-year-old man was killed. 
it doesn't say his race. And apparently the uh, victims earlier today were African-American. So um, it, all angles of this are being looked at. It, it's a crazy situation, and uh, we will continue to cover this. Switching gears here, Reuters is reporting that uh, on the House Intelligence Committee, in their investigation into the 2016 Russia, uh, 2016 U.S. election in Russia collusion, and they have made their findings public. We know that they had released the highly anticipated memo, which detailed FISA court uh, surveillance abuses. Well, now the House Intelligence Committee Republicans said on Monday that the panel had finished conducting interviews in its investigation of Russia and the 2016 U.S. election and found no collusion between President Donald Trump's associates and Moscow's efforts to influence the campaign. We have found no evidence of collusion, coordination, or conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Russians. That from the committee, Republicans said as they released an overview of their probe. Representative Mike Conway, who had led the panel's investigation, said the panel had finished the interview phase of its probe. You never know what you never know, but we found no reason to think that there's something we're missing in this regard. We have talked to everybody we think we need to talk to. We've talked to everybody we think we need to talk to. That from Representative Mike Conway. So what does this mean to the Robert Mueller investigation and the Trump-Russia alleged collusion that the news media has been hysterical about for the last year and a half with conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory, with breaking news headline after breaking news headline, none of which amounted to anything. What does this mean for the Mueller investigation? We saw last week that Donald Trump said that he would meet with Mueller if Mueller agreed to close the probe into Trump's relationship with this investigation uh, in amount, a certain amount of time, a time frame was set up. But, again, we don't know if that is going to happen. We don't know if Donald Trump is going to sit down with Robert Mueller. The investigation that Robert Mueller is conducting is well outside the scope it was called for. When a special counsel is impaneled, there needs to be an underlying crime for which the reason that he comes on board is. And there was no underlying crime here. And his scope was to find Trump-Russia campaign collusion, which he has found none. The only thing that we've seen is charges uh, of mysterious Russian bots and financial crimes dealing with Paul Manafort and others uh, dealing with Ukraine in 2012-2014 and some process crimes like lying to the FBI. But there's no end in sight. And will the House Intelligence report that they've found no collusion do anything to the Mueller investigation? I say that they won't. John, what do you make of the House Intelligence Committee's latest findings and where this Mueller investigation can, continues to go. Well, thank you. The first and foremost, the fruit of the poison tree. I understand it. Doug Hagman certainly understands it. Joe, you understand it. And I don't... The, the Mueller investigation is, is starting to feel like the same kind of mission creep that's that's underpinned by a level of arrogance that kept us in Vietnam for 11 years. It's It seems to be an investigation... Well, we know uh, in search hunt. of a crime, it, right. it is a witch hunt. And the, the only other thing I want to add to it is, the the further the longer this goes on, it it bothers me that number one, it's draining the tax coffers from all of us who pay into it. Now, granted, compared to most federal spending, it's just a tiny, tiny drop in the bucket, but it's still blowing through millions and millions of dollars. And well, I do we also, know? Is it is it uh, from because from what I understand, Judicial Watch and Tom Fitton have. Uh, submitted FOIA requests to get 
to the bottom of the funding of the Robert Mueller investigation and also sued the federal government and still have not received that information as to the finances of the special counsel and how much it costs, even though those numbers are supposed to be public. Yeah, and that and that FOIA request goes back to, I believe, uh, what, early October of last year? It's, it's not something that yeah, was filed, know. you know, two weeks ago. But the other thing that, that troubles me, too, and we, we catch a fair share of this here at the Hagman Report, is the, the lawfare component, the, the procedural, uh, attacks. And I think about somebody, for example, like General Flynn, Joe. Did, did he do something wrong? Well, he has admitted, yes, he did. But then we got that really bizarre piece of news two weeks ago that, that the actual federal judge recommended to General Flynn that he recant his yeah. confession well, we, we of, know, of, of wrongdoing. We know that the 302s, which are the FBI's interview sheets, according to the Gateway Pundit and Jim Hoff, they were doctored by Andrew McCabe. Strauch's 302s were doctored by Andrew McCabe. So we don't know, uh, I guess officially, if Michael Flynn lied. There seems to be some impropriety there with them editing the 302s. And he was issued, I think it was, was it a Brady order? Uh, I can't really remember off the top of my head where it turns over all evidence from the prosecution side, from the federal government side to General Flynn, meaning if there was any evidence that the prosecution didn't think was important uh, and decided not to uh, you know, turn over during the discovery phase or introduce into evidence, that can come out during uh, the turnover of information, and it might give General Flynn a much better leg to stand on if he does choose to recant his uh, guilty plea, which is what many people were talking about. Now that seems to have uh, disappeared from the news. But this is an interesting piece, and then we'll move on from Robert Mueller. This from the Washington Times. Robert Mueller invokes unusual conspiracy to defraud government charge to ensnare more targets. Special Counsel Robert Mueller and his prosecutors have invoked an unusual conspiracy to defraud the government charge to ensnare a Russian cyber network and could use that same legal strategy to go after President Trump and his associates, even if the conspiracy is not linked to a criminal act. <laughs> let's, do some, let's do something fun here, Joe, because this is a uh, this may be, albeit, a clunky segue, but I know you wanted to cover this today on The Daily Show and we ran out of time. We are in a society now where we have a special counsel that is that is switching gears that is changing the focal point of the investigation almost weekly but concurrent to that joe we've got oj simpson who came out yeah. publicly the other day and was like you well, better this, you better believe i did it well he didn't come <laughs> I mean, out publicly. I'm, I'm not he, i'm laughing because it's so unfunny but joe the tapes ahead. were released the, the tapes came out and were made public and yeah we're going to touch on this so did oj simpson confess to murder and this title from TMZ is O.J. Simpson Confessed to Murder. But real quick, before we move on from this Robert Mueller piece, what is a charge of conspiracy? Oh boy, back to, back to Mueller. <laughs> what is it, what is, what does it mean? What is the charge of conspiracy to defraud the U.S. government? And I'm going to read to what the Washington Post says that this could possibly mean for President Trump and his associates. They say that this is how this looks. The crime of conspiracy to defraud the United States, the authors noted, is not new, but it sets up a very different legal battle than trying to prove outright that Mr. Trump or his associates actively colluded with Russians to alter the outcome of the 2016 election. 
the conspiracy to defraud approach, the lawfare, author points out, has been sitting in plain sight in general conspiracy statutes since 1948. The statute makes it illegal for two or more persons to conspire either to commit any offense against the United States or to defraud the United States or any agency thereof in any manner or for any purpose. The authors note that unlike conspiracy to commit an offense, conspiracy to defraud the U.S. need not be connected to a specific crime. And defraud is not defined by the law. <laughs> you could you could take that law and slap it down oh on Congress when it's goodness. in full session. Like, so what right, does this say? Nineteen forty-eight. Okay, go ahead. Let's let's go ahead and play around with this for a minute. Well, no. What this is saying is that if there, even if there is no crime, even if there is no crime that they that Robert Mueller in this investigation can tie right, to no, President no Trump, they can. It's like a RICO case. Uh, we'll say because you know you were laundering money and. Uh, you know, you were, you, you had some money laundering operation. They throw the conspiracy charge in there, link the two of you together because you had some dealings together, and they can throw RICO statutes at you. And they have much more leeway when, when uh, prosecuting you. Here, it, it seems that they're doing the same thing. They, they have exhausted their Russian collusion narrative. They apparently have exhausted their money laundering narrative. They've apparently exhausted their obstruction of justice narrative, or at least come to a conclusion one way or the other, and now they're expanding this to a statute, a law, which doesn't even need to be connected to a crime. So let's look at this. So just by definition, the 13 indictments that Robert Mueller issued on Russian bots or trolls or whatever you want to call it, and the Paul Manafort indictment where... He had been found guilty of a financial mis- misconduct from 2012. Somehow can be linked, and Trump can be ensnared in under this whole conspiracy idea, even though he had no part in any of what they're talking about. So the, that's so the, what they can do here. So the special counsel is investigating conspiracy that's not necessarily conspiracy to commit a crime. And the best part of this is this is again this is conspiracy to defraud the United States. Right. Or any agency of the United States. Okay, let me let me just go over that again. It says not only the United States, but to commit any offense against the US or defraud the US or any agency thereof in any manner or for any purpose. So wouldn't somebody like, for example, I it don't just know, means just because you want to do it. I guess. California Governor Jerry Brown accepting the federal funding that he does for everything from public schools to uh, border security, border control, even federal money for programs like the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program or WIC. Uh, is he not conspiring to defraud the uh, United States, Joe? Well, and, oh, absolutely. And, and what about anytime, Nancy Pelosi in San Francisco? She is guilty of that, too. Anytime any politician receives a kickback, you could make, or, or even lobbying money, we could make the case, could constitute conspiracy to defraud. Now, I've said this on The Daily Show, and I think I've said this on Hagman Report. At this point, even if President Trump was guilty of something, even if CNN had you know the exclusive on tape, Nobody is going to believe or even buy into what they're accusing the president of, even if he did it at this point. They are a joke. They've been a joke for the last forever. But for the last two years while covering President Trump, their coverage of him has just been, you know, full of deceit, deception, and lies, uh, even to the point we've seen multiple reporters being fired and demoted and, 
uh, you know, for their, for their made up stories and bogus sources, sourced material that they've thrown out there. All the accusations that they've thrown up against the president and none of them have stuck because there's no proof to back any of it up. And they're doubling down again and expanding this probe again. Well, th- well, Joe, CNN uh, tackles the tough issues. They they get yeah. to the this bottom of the apple. story. This is a box of apples. <laughs> this is how many Diet Cokes President Trump drinks a day. Uh, and that does, we don't even want to get into the two scoops issue because that's yesterday's news. But uh, let's talk for a minute about my little bald buddy over at CNN. Uh, Brian, Stel- Brian Stelter. Brian out, Stelter. Reliable sources. And, and, John, I said the apple thing. <laughs> they were doing a facts first campaign on CNN where it said, this is an apple. Some people will try to tell you that it's a banana, and that's dangerous, and that hurts people. Well, I saw a commercial over the weekend where it said, this is an apple. Then it had more apples, and it said, this is a box of apples. And then it just said facts first. That was the whole commercial. What are they What are they trying to say? When it comes to CNN. That's, that, that's their facts. That's the only thing they factually tell, that that's an apple, and this is what a box of apples looks like. When it, I mean, comes, it. when it comes to CNN, when we look back at their uh, their uh, New Year's Eve coverage with their gas masks and their big water bongs and whatever, maybe it should have been, this is an apple, this is an orange, this is Brian Stelter, and this is a bottle of vodka. Yeah. That's, where, that's well, where these people are. It made sense when they were saying that this is an apple, but some people might try to tell you it's a banana. It doesn't make sense when they're saying this is an apple and this is... A bunch of apples called the box of apples, and then that's all they say. I can see where they're misrepresenting one fruit for another, but when they're it, it, it seemed to have no message, I guess was my point. So what are they trying to say? I don't know. I don't care. We need but to get Greg Hunter in here right now. Yeah, we need Greg Hunter in here right now. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see where some of the political pundits and others take uh, this latest revelation. I'm sure CNN right now has the breaking news thing. Uh, you know, conspiracy to defraud the government of the United States being looked, Trump being looked into and on and on and on and on. We know their game, but it is, um, as Drudge Report has in front of the article, phishing. That's exactly what they're doing. So we're going to continue to, to obviously cover this and to cover the president's agenda as phase two of Trump wants phase two of tax cuts. This is an interesting article. As we had just a few minutes before the break, then we're going to be bring, bringing on Jim Hoff of the Gateway Pundit. President Trump again brings up a phase two of tax cuts. The GOP law passed in December permanently chops taxes for corporations and temporarily reduces the tax rate for most individuals. Now he wants phase two of the tax cuts, and he wants the Republican lawmakers passing this by December. Speaking at the World Series Championship, Houston Astros, as they visited the White House, President Trump asked Representative Kevin Brady of Texas whether he planned to cut taxes further. And they go on to say that there are a number of senators and representatives who are working on a part two of tax cuts. And one of the, I don't know all the details of this, but I, I, the reason I brought this up was to say this. The tax bill that the president uh, and Congress had passed and the president signed into law is only in effect for nine years. One thing that they could do as a phase two is to make these tax cuts permanent. And I think if they do that, it would also give them a lot of traction into the 2018 midterm elections, which is starting to ramp up. We're seeing all of the um, uh, the, the rumblings of the, the 2018 midterm elections in the media. You have news panels that are talking about this blue wave of Democrats who are who are going to take over the House and the Senate, this you know renewed Democratic optimism in the Democratic Party. 
But the fundraising and the polls just don't tell that same story. But we had some redistricting maps here in Pennsylvania, which changed uh, the number of districts that in Pennsylvania, and it's also said that it hurts Republicans. So we have uh, Republicans wage 11th hour blitz in PA special election. The GOP tried everything to save itself and Donald Trump from embarrassment, including calling Democrat Connor Lamb too conservative. But this is a, a very publicized race, a, a congressional race here in Pennsylvania, just north of Pittsburgh in Moon Township, where there is a a hotly contested election, and it looks like uh, they they believe that the the Democrats are going to win. But we will uh, get into that more as we are running out of time. John, I know that you wanted to talk about what happened in the UK. We have two minutes. If you want to lay this out, and then when when Jim Hoff leaves us, we'll get right into this because okay, uh, we have friends of the Hagman Report who made some trips overseas this weekend and were basically detained as political prisoners in the UK. This is very serious. Yeah, this this is thank you, Joe. This is what happened. Uh, uh, this broke on Twitter two days ago, and uh, it caught my eye right away. Of course, a number of people tweeted me directly. John, have you seen this? And and uh, we had Brittany Pettibone uh, join us in late 2016, right in the in the epicenter of the quote unquote PizzaGate uh, story. And Brittany Pettibone was really one of the the citizen journalists at the forefront of dissecting those Podesta emails. So she joined us then, and then we had her a few times in early 2017 as well. And she and her uh, paramour uh, Martin Selner, who is an Austrian national, uh, were to meet Tommy Robinson in the UK and. Uh, and Martin Selner, who is part of a an organization called Generation, uh, well, it's Generation Identity, but but it's it's a French uh, name, uh, so it would be Generation Identitaire. Uh, and he was to give a speech uh, at in Hyde Park at what Joe I infer is sort of an ongoing weekly uh, type of affair where people in Hyde Park deliver political speeches, etc. Uh, because the uh, the London uh, the airport police actually were aware of Brittany Pettibone and Martin Selner's uh, purpose for traveling to the UK, uh, they detained them and uh, they did so for three full days. But when Jim Hoft joins us, Joe, here in just a couple of minutes, we'll unpack this and uh, get our listeners and viewers informed. Yeah, and we also have um, we also have time between eight and eight thirty, where we're going to continue to talk about news. And I want to to definitely get into this more because this is a very important story. And we already know people like Michael Savage are banned in Britain. But is this going to continue to get worse? Are we going to continue to see people punished for their political viewpoints in other countries? This is a bad precedent that we're setting, and we will explain why that is when we come back after we are joined by Jim Hoff by the Gateway Pundit. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. This Monday edition of the Hagman Report. Today is the 12th of March, 2018. We're going to be joined by the editor-in-chief of the Gateway Pundit, Jim Hoft. It is one of the top political websites. It has over 15 million visits each month. It's constantly ranked as one of the top political blogs in the nation. And Jim Hoft is a award-winning uh, journalist 
uh, and he has uh, great credentials and is a huge tool to the battle for the public perception and the truth that we see in the mainstream media versus the digital media. And we've been talking about this a lot the last few weeks because of all the censorship we've been seeing on YouTube. We've been seeing uh, everything from, you know, the, the shadow banning on Twitter, the blocking on Facebook, and the new ways YouTube likes to uh, suppress content from not letting you share it to interrupting the streams to just outright erasing channels. Now, we talked about this on The Daily or Show. Joe, or, Joe, what about, sorry to jump in, but what about uh, the um, placing of ads in the content, for example, that we create for organizations like Planned Parenthood? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they I like mean, to you, do that. But that's playing dirty. <laughs> yeah, they like to do that. And we got a few complaints. One of the things we can't control is on our podcast, iTunes. They automatically input ads before and after each uh, piece that you upload. And we have no control. We would, if we... Uh, said, no, you can't upload ads to our content. Well, we wouldn't be allowed to upload content there. And what we started getting were a few emails from listeners who said, do you know you're supporting Planned Parenthood? And then, you know, you get the information, you find out where the ads are being played and come to find out if they, if those are the ads that are being played, you have no control over what content is played or your ability, uh, to, to play that content. And the only way to avoid the ads is to not even upload your podcast. So we do respect the feedback from the listeners when they see something out of place like that. We used to deal with that with Google AdSense on the website, but there are certain things that we can't control, and that is one of them. As promised, we have Jim Hoft with us, the editor-in-chief of the Gateway Pundit, as I said, a very respected journalist, award-winning journalist at that, running one of the top websites in the digital media platform, which is the Internet. Mr. Hoft, welcome back to the Hagman Report. Hi, guys. Good it, to be with you. It's great to have you. Uh, perfect timing coming on. Uh, we were just going over some of the latest information of the expansion of the Robert Mueller probe, and I don't know if you have had a chance to read this. There's an article uh, from the Washington Times of Mueller invoking conspiracy to defraud U.S. government charges, and what this says, I don't know. as I said, I don't know if you read this, but they go on to say that you don't even need an underlying crime that President Trump could be ensnared in a, in a charge through this conspiracy to defraud the government just because of the people around him and, you know, the, the possibility that he has involvement in this just by his uh, default of being president. What do you think about this latest move? I think it's criminal. And I think if they succeed with this, uh, this coup, it's obviously a coup. It's a, it's a deep state coup. And, uh, if they succeed with that, then uh, we are going to, uh, uh, I think there's going to be a revolution. So uh, I, yeah. I think it's an awful sign, and uh, I, I just can't believe this is still going on. This is just like something you'd see in a tin-pot dictatorship, and it's uh, it's very disturbing that this is America today. It is very disturbing, and, and to see it not, it's not, it's not releasing findings and shutting down. It's expanding. It's doubling down. And with this, it's basic, from, from my reading of this article, it basically says, well, we have not been able to find anything criminal on President Trump. So therefore, we're going to go outside the law and see what we can do there. And I made this remark, and I want to know if you agree, Jim. Do you believe that whatever Robert Mueller brings to the table as far as charges against President Trump, do you believe that the American public is going to uh, buy it? I think, uh, I, I speak with some friends who are liberals, you know, who watch Maddow every night, and uh, 
think they're being informed. And they, I, I really believe the liberal media thinks that uh, everybody's with them because this is all they hear on the news, mm -hmm. you know, because the, the media is so completely out of control and uh, liberal today. Um, I think they're going to be in for a huge surprise if they try to, you know, uh, uh, to replace Trump with someone up over some fraudulent charges. I think uh, the American public is going to be outraged. I know I am. I don't know how they're going to control it because I, I will never trust this government again. Uh, right now, I'm at a point where, um, I, you know, I used to be impressed with the FBI. I loved the spy movies and all that. I thought these were cool guys. And today, I my my uh, my thinking of the deep state FBI CIA has completely changed because we see, you guys see, I see that this is just a, a crock what is going on and that they are trying to take down a duly elected official because they, I believe, they're, they're just hiding from their own crimes and they know that they're the ones who should be in jail. So if, if, uh, if they get away with this, I think the American people are going to revolt. I know I will. Um, I'll be one of the first ones sent to the re-education camp because uh, I certainly won't stay quiet with the, with this nonsense that they're pushing and continue to push on the American public. It's uh, it's really unbelievable. Well, Jim, thank you so much. John John Robertson sitting in for Doug Hagman, by the way. And uh, Doug, Hi. Doug sends his regards. Uh, thank you for joining us for a few moments this evening. Uh, you're not going anywhere because we're not going to let them take you. Uh, in, <laughs> in, in aggregate, Jim... The Daily Caller, The Gateway Pundit, The Hagman Report, InfoWars, Caravan to Midnight, The Josh Tolley Show, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In aggregate, we must not forget that we had the power to place 45th President Donald J. Trump in office in November of 2016. Uh, in my humble opinion, we Trojan horsed the dinosaur media and, of course, it's payback time, and that's what we're seeing now with all these smackdowns, all this censorship, right. etc. cetera. Uh, Jim, I know you've got limited time with us this evening, um, and thank you again for accepting the invitation because we really are concerned about what has happened over the past four days, originally with uh, uh, former guest and, and uh, many-time guest of the Hagman Report, Brittany Pettibone uh, and, uh, and Martin Sellner, but now, just in the last 24 hours, uh, with Lauren Southern as well. So, Jim, if you'd be kind enough, Cassandra Fairbanks, by the way, listeners, has has done a remarkable job covering this for the Gateway Pundit, and she's got three articles. I have them sitting here, right, right here in front of me, that explain this story. But, Jim, uh, why don't you just go ahead and unpack this for us a little bit, and uh, what have you got? Yeah. So, so Brittany Pettibone and her boyfriend, who leads the uh, I Didn't Tear uh, movement in the uh, uh, Austria. It's a movement that's spread across the European continent now. It started in France, and what it is is it's finally some of these. It's a young, uh, very youthful group, uh, and it started in France where they just said, "Hey, our country is being destroyed by this massive influx of immigrants," and they wanted to stand up and uh, reclaim their countries. So, of course. The media over there, just like they do here, they're, you know, they, they label these people as racists and, uh, you know, Islamophobes and all the rest. The same thing we get thrown at us. And so this leader from the Austrian, Austrian identitarian movement, along with Brittany, his girlfriend, they're going to London to speak at this Freedom Square where all of free speech is welcome in London, right? 
Well, they get arrested and thrown in jail for three days because they're conservatives. So they never made it to the London Freedom Zone, Freedom of Speech Zone, and instead they were tossed into prison separately. They weren't allowed to speak with anyone, and then when they got out, they were immediately blown back to Austria. It's really unbelievable that this is happening. And as I posted in one of the articles, one of the follow-up articles, they're not allowing conservatives today to come in to their country because they're so threatening, and yet this is the same United Kingdom that is allowing these ISIS supporters to speak publicly. They're the same people who are allowing these radical Islamists to live off the taxpayer dime and live off welfare. And it's just unbelievable then that they would not allow these Christians. And actually, Lauren Southern, who was then arrested Sunday and released later in the day, they asked her in her interrogation about her Christianity. This is in England, and it's so shocking that this is going on in the West today. And I don't think, you know, I think we see if another four years of some Democrat in the White House, this is what America is going to start looking like. And this is why the left is pushing so hard for the illegal immigrants and for open borders is because they know that that's the only way they can get votes, because most of the Americans who are here are really sick and tired of their failed policies and their radical ideas, and they prefer to love this country and raise their children in a safe place rather than, as Trump would say, as he described in Haiti, he used a word I won't use on your show, but that's what the left wants to turn America into. Boy, you better believe it. You know, Jim, you make an excellent point, and thank you for mentioning this. It was going to be my follow-up question. But, again, headline from the Gateway Pundit, jailed because she's conservative, Canadian YouTuber and activist Lauren Southern denied entry into the U.K. Pardon me, this is the other headline. This is the one I wanted to read. Canadian conservative journalist Lauren Southern detained, questioned about her Christianity, and then banned from the U.K. I have some additional news on that, John. I don't know if you saw this, but apparently Breitbart is reporting that she was distributing racist leaflets, which said things like Allah is gay, Allah is trans, in what was an inspiration from a Vice article titled Jesus was Gay, and they were filming reactions to that. And she was given this material while being interrogated and said, you know, do you like seeing Muslims hit by cars and on and on. Okay, so Lauren Southern has a penchant for creating news, for being a newsmaker. Infamously over the past couple months when she went into the Canadian ministry, proclaimed her gender transition almost whimsically, and then the Canadian government went ahead and determined that Lauren Southern, who is most definitely not a man, was in fact male. But back to you, Jim. There's another thing I've got to ask you about. I'd be remiss not to. Sophie Johannesson, this broke my heart. I saw it on Twitter either late Friday night or early Saturday morning. Did this cross your radar, Jim, the young lady in Sweden who was groped in a nightclub last weekend and just absolutely brutally beaten by a migrant? We'll leave it at that. Did you see that article? It was dailymail.co covered extensively. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it. It's not very disturbing. It, it, it is. Yeah. And, and this, this young lady, 19 years old, uh, native daughter of Sweden, if you will, and she was uh, defending herself. She was inappropriately groped uh, in a nightclub in Malmo. And uh, I would encourage you, Jim, uh, after you break with us, just go ahead and, and search social media and, and take a look at the optics because this poor young lady who's who's young and very, very beautiful, she looks like she went through a car windshield at about 40, 50 oh, miles an hour. It's article, really bad. The article is from January 30th on Fox News. Sweden, Swedish teen in shock after being bloodied at nightclub after rejecting men who groped her in the picture is what is it should just, yeah, she's got, she's blood all over her face. But, Jim, this brings us to a bigger question. Are we finally seeing pushback from citizens in countries like France, like the UK, like we're seeing a little bit with Germany, against these these migrant and refugee quotas and the influx of the uh, Middle Easterners in, into these regions? Um, I, I, th I think so, and it's uh, it's a blessing that this is happening. One of the actions by these French identitarians was they they stormed this uh, this mosque and and hung a banner from it, uh, you know, about Christianity. So. France, of course, has a you know completely different history than we have, and the the Muslims, uh, the French, the French beat back the Muslims you know centuries ago. There's always been a Muslim threat in Europe, and that's why we see that some of these Eastern European countries who have actually had Muslim rule for several centuries, they're the ones who are speaking out the strongest against this uh, this massive uh, influx of of refugees because they've lived through this. For several centuries, and they don't want it again. So um, I think there's some hope for Europe. I certainly hope so. It's such a beautiful place, um, and uh, I, I hope that uh, people turn back to uh, to their Christian faith. I think that could be uh, a remedy there that could help the continent. But uh, my prayers are for Europe, and I I don't know what lies ahead, but uh, it's it's a pretty scary situation today. Yeah, and I don't even know, Jim. I don't understand how this plays out. You get unchecked migration to these countries and like the some of the parliament of sweden has says uh, they, you know they want their society to change to an islamic society so you get this huge inf influx to where the uh, native citizens of the country are now uh, you know the minority and it just what it turns into another situation where it turns into a country that people need to flee from eventually because it was where it been turned into where all these other people came from the logic is not there for me, and I don't understand it, as you mentioned, arresting political activist teenagers and young people, yet at the same time allowing ISIS fighters to return, and not only that, giving them tax money for houses and food and, and whatnot. It is truly insane. insane. Yeah. Well, Jim, yeah, it certainly is. I know you don't have a lot of time left. Anything that we didn't touch that's on your radar that you wanted to talk about before we let you go? Um. Well, the... The, uh, I'm sure you guys have spoken about this, and I've been writing about it quite a bit, but I've been reaching out to several conservative groups, and uh, there's a, I can't even tell you the number of people now who have contacted me saying that they've been targeted and banned and blocked and shadow banned by Facebook and Twitter and Google. So uh, we're talking about that a lot, and I think it's more widespread than we realize, and I think some action is going to, we're going to take some action here. So that's a, a story that's developing and hopefully these Republicans will wake up because, as you said earlier, um, it's because of shows like yours and the Internet and uh, yeah, Infowars and Daily Caller and Breitbart and all of us that uh, Republicans get elected. It certainly isn't from that toxic uh, mainstream media. So they better wise up and better come defend us or there won't be anybody left to support them. 
You know, uh, Jim, I want to ask you a question before we, before we let you get back to your evening. And, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but over the past three days, and I, I've had a, a very touch and go relationship with Twitter, and it's funny because I'm not what you would call a big Twitter account. I've got like six, seven thousand people. Um, but, but, I, but of course, be, because of this blessing of the Hagman report, I've got a, a connection with a lot of the big Twitter accounts. Jim, lately, when I attempt to tag the Gateway Pundit, uh, oh, no. Brittany Pettibone, Jack Posobiec, and a few others. I get this thing, and I'm reading it directly from my phone right now. It's a little white box that comes up that says, Tweet not sent. We're sorry, we weren't able to send your tweet. Would you like to retry or save this tweet in drafts? It doesn't matter how many times you retry to send the tweet. It will not fly. Jim, is this wow. because of the people I'm tagging to these tweets? Uh, you know, uh, that's I, that's a new one. I'm telling you, we get emails every day, several emails from people saying, they don't see our articles anymore on Facebook. Um, Christina Layla, who writes for me, she also says that uh, her her tweets aren't showing up, um, and uh, so we get a lot of uh, there's a lot of shadow banning going on. Our uh, uh, Facebook traffic has been decimated in the past several months. Just like many of these ma- major conservative Facebook pages are losing their traffic, and so it's not an accident, and uh, it certainly doesn't seem like it's uh, something that's legal or should be legal in this country. You know, we have freedom of speech still. So uh, I, I think some of us are going to take some action. And uh, I appreciate that. And for your listeners, if they ever see that with Gateway Pundit, they can always email us with a screen grab because we're certainly collecting all of those as more evidence um, for a case that we're building. Well, Jim, it's uh, encouraging to hear that you are, in fact, building a case. And uh, I've been myself writing a series of articles that have been uh, reposted on a number of platforms, so they've really uh, put some rubber on the road, the most recent of which, uh, the new media must survive the network media mindset. And uh, I'll make this my final uh, question for you tonight. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. But the thesis I posit in the recent article posted yesterday, Jim, is that until... The those consumers who prefer c- content from the new media, from the Gateway Pundit, from the Hagman Report, until they understand that they need to have direct participation, a direct relationship with the content creators who they've grown to trust, until we can beat back fact for fact, dollar for dollar against these these seemingly insurmountable juggernauts of social media, the, the Facebooks, the Twitters, this horror show going on on YouTube. Uh, Jim, until we take back the market share, we're on the losing end of this. What are your thoughts? Well, I, th- I think that's a good theory. And um, I think, too, that um, the good news is that more people are starting to wake up to this. I started speaking out about this six months ago, a year ago, um, and, uh, you know, hardly got any attention to it. It seems like today everybody's talking about it. We're speaking with lawmakers. They're aware of this. Um, we're hoping to have hearings in Congress. There certainly should be. And so uh, I think more and more people are waking up, and I think that's what we need is more and more people to understand what's going on And because uh, they won't have the truth. If the, if the Internet's crack, if they shut down the Internet and base it on these lies of, uh, Fake news or hate speech is what they use against conservatives. Or Russian bots. Um, Republic, yeah, bots, Russian bots. Um, or if, if they don't, if they don't have the conservative media, the new media, um, there, there's nobody else to carry their voice and to carry the news to them. So I hope people wake up and they should be outraged at this. There's a lot of conservatives who are in, uh, 
really dire straits because of this targeting that's going on. It's not right at all. No, it's not right at all. But I fear we are just at the beginning of this battle, and we have a much bigger uphill battle coming. You know, wait till they start, you know, doing this at the ISP level. And we've seen this before, and it can get really ugly. Jim, I don't want to take any more of your time. I know you had a time concern, so we'll let you go. But the Gateway Pundit, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate the great work. Anytime. Good work. Talk to you later. All right. Again, that was Jim Hoft from the Gateway Pundit. Follow him on social media. You can follow him at Gateway Pundit, and thegatewaypundit.com is the website. And that is one of our favorite places to gather news. And one of the friends of the Hagman Report has been uh, just doing a great job over there, Josh Kaplan. We haven't talked with him in a while, but um, you know, hats off to him for what he's been doing uh, over there. Wanted to talk about Hillary Clinton real quick. Didn't think we'd ever have to bring her back up again. But two pieces of news that are important. One, Hillary Clinton is in India, the country India. Apparently on her book tour, what happened? Now, there is an article with a video on the Drudge Report. Hillary Clinton falls down the stairs in India despite two men holding her up. Even though Hillary Clinton had help going down a set of stairs in India today, she nearly fell down more than once. Um, the 15 stairs she was walking down and apparently couldn't keep it together. But what she said in India was more important. And I'm not trying to make fun of a, a poor old lady for falling down the stairs. One, I don't think she's a poor old lady. But listen to what she said. Failed presidential candidate Hillary Clinton gave a talk in India over the weekend, and her rhetoric on Trump voters is probably a bit offensive to them. Now, the reason that, the only reason I bring this up is because this is not just what Hillary Clinton thinks. This is the same mindset that the mainstream media has. This is the same mindset that the snowflakes have. There, There's a video, Eric. Yep. And this is the mindset that these spiritually devoid people not only have, but are trying to force everybody else to agree with. And she says this. Look at the map of the United States. There's all the red in the middle where Trump won. Now, I win the coasts. I win Illinois. But the map doesn't show you that I won the places that represent two-thirds of America's gross domestic product. So I won the places that are optimistic, diverse, and moving forward. And his whole campaign, Make America Great Again, was looking backward. You know, you didn't like black people getting rights. You didn't like women, you know, getting jobs. You didn't want to, you know, see that Indian Americans are succeeding more than you are. Whatever your problem is, I'm going to solve it. She also goes on to say, so it was a symptom, but it was also a cause, because having someone run for president who voices those ideas, who rejects so much of the American story and our values, was also the underlying cause as well. Now, my question is, who is more insane and sick? Is it Nancy Pelosi or is it Hillary Clinton? I mean, literally, listen to what she's saying. She is saying that the reason America voted for President Trump is because those voters didn't like black people or women getting jobs. This, again, on her book tour in India, the same book she wrote about why she lost the presidential election, what happened. If you want to watch the video of her falling down the stairs or stumbling down the stairs, you can do so. I mean, it's really, we've seen it a dozen times by now. So it is uh, something that it's because of her comments. She just won't go away. Now, when we come back, we're going to get into 
uh, some more news, and then we're going to be joined by Sergeant Sangari from 8.30 to 9. He's running for Congress in the 9th District of Illinois, and Peterberry Chaco will be, ugh, will be our guest in the third hour. But when we come back from the break, uh, there's a few pieces we're going to cover. One, we're going to cover John's latest piece up on Hagman Report, The New Media Must Survive the Network Media Mindset. <clears throat> we're also going to cover this. FBI insiders blow whistle on massive Las Vegas cover-up. Agents told not to investigate key evidence, including ISIS terror link to the Mandalay Bay massacre. This is from truepundit.com. This is also up on Hagman Report under the section. There, Don't forget now, there are two sections on Hagman Report. When you go there, right underneath the picture scroll bar, it says exclusive reports, and right next to that it says in other news. All the original content is under exclusive reports. All the curated content is under the tab in other news. And up there we have a piece on FBI, as I said, we're going to be talking about when we come back. And also, an interesting note on the Florida school shooter, a month now after the shooting has happened, shooter revealed gory fantasies to his therapist years before the Parkland massacre. And folks, you can go to to this article, it's at the Miami Herald, uh, if you want to read it, but it just talks about this kid's years and years of documented uh, psychiatric problems of fantasizing about violence and telling the psychiatrist and therapist that he fantasizes about killing people and, and having dreams of being bloody and dead people all around him. We know it's obvious this guy, this kid, this animal um, was basically you know, the, the the perfect candidate to do something like this. And everybody knew it from the FBI, the police department, the school district, the people who lived with him, his brother. And yet, even with all the red flags, even with all the warnings, the suspensions, the expulsions, the threats, the bullets, the Instagram pictures, the, uh, you know, threats on YouTube that got to the FBI, even the call from a family member or close friend to the FBI, all of it, Nobody did anything, and he was able to carry out the shooting. Well, the more we learn about this guy, the more disturbed it is obvious that he was, and yet nobody stopped it. We're going to be right back after this commercial break. Don't go anywhere on this Monday edition of the Hagman Report. candidate Sarja Sangari. He's been on in the past on our show, but not in the capacity that he's coming on tonight. He's going to be laying out his candidacy for Congress in the 2018 Illinois 9th District. So it's going to be very interesting to hear what he has planned to do as we are moving forward rapidly towards the 2018 uh, midterm elections that are so important. And the news is starting to to kick in on this, as we said, they're, they've been talking about this democratic blue wave that's coming, and we're going to get into all of that in you know, more of this. Uh, Doug Hagman popping in from the office. You can't see me. Can't no, see you. you can't. I can. See and you. I'll tell you what, uh, Sargas Sangari met him in person. What a great. What I mean, what a fantastic guy he is. Um, he's doing a lot of great work. I got to tell you, and and it's exciting that we've got a man like a man of his caliber going to. Run for office, but you Couldn't know, ask for a more honest man. No, you 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 can't. You, you can't. 
folks, let me let me ask you a question out there. How how many people out there are affected by the winter doldrums? My goodness, you know it's snowy, it's cold. Who wants to who wants to go grocery shopping? I know my wife doesn't. And sometimes you get into that habit of or that that thought of of thinking what are we going to have to eat tonight? Hey, hon, what do you want to eat tonight? You don't really want to go out. You know, it's just it, it, the same old, same old, right? But let me tell you about something that we found that I am so excited about, and so is my wife, and she loves this service. She loves this product, HelloFresh.com. Have you heard about this? Look, HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. Now, uh, you talk about convenience. You can choose your delivery day for when it works best for your busy schedule. You can pause the account for weeks at a time. When you're out of town, all of the ingredients come pre-measured in a handy, well, labeled meal kits so you know which ingredients go with rich with, with which recipe it's delivered right to your door in recyclable insulated packaging i love this service my wife loves this service hellofresh offers a wide variety of chef curated recipes that change weekly three plans to choose from you got your classic you got your veggie then you got your family the family's what we get because we we eat a lot the, the classic, by the way, it's got a, mari- a variety of, of meat, fish, and seasonal produce. Veggie, of course, is vegetarian recipes with plant-based proteins, grains, and seasonal produce. And family is quick and easy meals with all of the yum-worthy flavor the whole family will love. You know, you won't spend all night in the kitchen because recipes only take about 30 minutes. Lots of one-pot recipes for seriously speedy, speedy cooking and minimal cleanup. And each week there's a 20-minute meal on the classic menu for when you really don't have more time than that. You know, there are some fantastic recipes involved here. I've got to tell you, besides the convenience, the taste is fantastic, but we've got a very special offer for you. Now, now listen to this. HelloFresh.com. HelloFresh.com. That's the first thing you, you got to remember. HelloFresh.com. But... Listeners to this radio show, The Hagman Report, for $30 off of your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter the promo code HAGMAN30. That's HelloFresh.com, enter HAGMAN30, the promo code HAGMAN30. I've got to tell you, you're going to try, the the excitement of of cooking has just never been better. You're going to try things that you've never, never think to cook on your own. And you're going to enjoy eating outside of your comfort zone if you so choose. You can look forward to your HelloFresh box delivery as the highlight of your week, knowing dinner just got that much easier. And let me tell you something. It's great not having to go shopping or think, oh, what are we going to have tonight? My goodness. Oh, you know, you just don't like to go through that. And, Joe, you were really uh, oh, no, yeah, last you week, were impressed. You were last impressed, week right? we had a meal that was so delicious I wish I could have had more. And that was the Crantastic Turkey Burgers. Now, I love burgers, but this was by far the best turkey burger I ever tasted. And there was a topping on it that you wouldn't think would be good on on a burger, which was a cranberry mayonnaise sauce. Oh, it was fantastic. It was like nothing I ever tasted before. And I told 
Renee specifically. I said, get more of these, <laughs> if not just for me, because I will eat. I could eat these every week. HelloFresh does feed the Hagman team here, I don't know, what, twice a week at least? Three times a week, actually. And, and you know, the, the recipe cards that come with it, yeah, you get to here. keep them, and, and you get to keep them. And, and there it is right there. But, Joe, I mean, that's... that's yeah, you got the recipe are. cards. Within this is the, the one I enjoyed, the... Uh, the turkey burger with yeah, the cranberry and mayonnaise. And it shows you all the ingredients and what's in the ingredients that you're going to use. And then on the back, it has the instructions, step-by-step, step, you know, one, two, three, do this, 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 and that. And then what I like is just to eat the food. Yeah, well, even even I can follow the instructions, folks. It is HelloFresh.com, promo code HAGMAN, H-A-G-M-A-N-N, HAGMAN30. That's HAGMAN30, HelloFresh.com, HAGMAN30. I guarantee you. You will not be sorry. You're gonna just you're you're gonna enjoy this so much, and I'll I'll tell you something. Um, we we this is this is our go-to uh, food service company for all of our meals. It really is. And uh, you know something? I, I have not seen any leftovers. Have you been no. eating them? <laughs> there aren't any. <laughs> All right. No, back, crew back to Joe and John. A great show. Thank you, John, for sitting in. Great article, by the way, from John Robertson today on, uh, yeah, we're going to uh, get into this that. past, well, actually, it was yesterday, but man, fantastic. He's been hitting them out of the park. So make sure you take a listen to that. All right. We're going to get into some news before we bring on Mr. Sangari in the next 25 minutes. Want to make sure we hit this right out of the gate. This is from truepundit.com. It's also on Hagman Report. FBI insiders blow whistle on massive Las Vegas cover-up. Agents told not to investigate key evidence, including ISIS terror link to Mandalay Bay Massacre. Now, this is a long article. I'm not going to read this whole article on air. I'm only going to go through just a few bullet points here. This It starts out by saying, The official narrative we've been fed by the FBI and Las Vegas officials about the massacre at Mandalay Bay that claimed 58 lives is purely fiction. A Polish story contrived to cover up disturbing facts surrounding the worst mass shooting ever in the United States. This according to FBI insiders and high-ranking intelligence officials. What have they said and what have we learned new? Well, we haven't seen any evidence to verify anything, but what they're saying makes more sense than anything that I can come up with on my own, which they say that the, the FBI ignored evidence of multiple gunmen. And the agents were told to focus only on Paddock, even as a key internal audio captured by a hotel guest of multiple rifles being fired from Mandalay Bay went ignored. It was covered up. The FBI brass was provided the names of persons of interest who likely assisted Paddock. Agents were instructed not to interview the individuals. One would-be target was never pursued, despite pleadings from intelligence officials and agents that he was a possibly a second shooter. Other pieces of information in this article. There was an ISIS-linked businessman from Turkey who was pinpointed in the investigation and found to be residing near Las Vegas at the time of the shooting. FBI agents were not instructed to follow up and pursue intelligence leads showing possible links to the massacre. And this is one I did not know that uh, we heard so much about this right after the shooting, the $100,000 that apparently Stephen Paddock wired to his girlfriend in the Phil- Philippines. It says, when the FBI agents followed up on the ABC News report that Paddock wired $100,000 to the Philippines shortly before the rampage, they confirmed the report was untrue. Instead of disputing it, FBI bosses embraced the false story, saying it helped build the narrative the Bureau was constructing about Paddock. FBI agents believe the story was planted with ABC 
by their superiors. And there's much more that is not detailed in this report today. This is only a summary of the true pundits' investigation. And then it goes on to make out several points. Why did the FBI lie to the American public at every turn? Why did the Las Vegas Metro Police Department echo those lies, adding their own falsehoods about every aspect of the shooting? And I have my own questions. We all have our own questions. Why was the security guard, uh, Jesus Campos, why was he allowed to leave the country after the shooting? Why was his medical records never released? He was allegedly treated at some, you know, urgent care days after the incident, then was allowed to drive to Mexico. His only interview was done on Ellen, the Ellen DeGeneres TV show, where she didn't even interview him. She told the story, and he basically just said, yes, yes, that's what happened. Where is he now? Why was Andrew McCabe put in charge of this, along with one of his, uh, you know, very close FBI pals, Aaron Rouse? He was the, he's the disgraced FBI director, or, or deputy director, Andrew McCabe, who had to leave because of uh, the lies and the corruption in the FBI in attempting to undermine President Donald Trump. And on and on and on. Why is the FBI leading in what amounts to a conspiracy to cover up the mass killings of U.S. citizens? So many more questions. So, you know, what, what I take away from this is, did the FBI ignore key ties to terrorism angles or cover up ties to terrorism angles? And if so, why did they do that? You know, Joe, let's, let's do this. Let's, uh, sort of unpack this story even uh, to a little bit uh, deeper degree than we did today on the Hagman Daily Show because it keeps, I keep reflecting on a, a conversation I had offline, Joe, with um, Laura Loomer about mm, two and a half weeks ago. And she was uh, in Florida at the time. It was just a couple of days before her last appearance with us. And we chatted for some time. And her hypothesis, her investigative theory in her journey to Broward County in the wake of the uh, the Parkland uh, shooting was concern about to what degree the FBI has become politicized. And Joe, as you just uh, rightfully pointed out, in the person of Andrew McCabe, uh, Deputy Director McCabe, and, and for that matter, his former boss, James Comey, we see clear evidence. This is clear evidence. In my opinion, it's courtroom-ready evidence that I think almost any competent jury would convict on. Uh, that they were in the tank for Hillary Clinton and for the DNC writ large. So you asked a key question, Joe, just now, and I would really encourage all of our viewers and listeners to consider this. Why would a investigation rightfully to be conducted, at least in the initial phase, by the Los Angeles field office of the FBI, or Las Vegas, rather, field office of the FBI, and it should technically be done under the uh, under the authority of the the uh, uh, Clark County Sheriff's Department, why did it revert to Andrew McCabe, who is 2,000, 3,000 miles away? And what we are beginning to see here, Joe, and you and I again discuss this today on the Hagman Daily Show, is gaps in the narrative. And I know we're going to talk about the article that I, I posted yesterday momentarily, but I, I touch on this with in great detail about the about the network news media and how there's always a narrative cooked into the story, always. And what's happening, Joe, is there are gaps in these narratives, whether it's Las Vegas or Broward County or the 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 soup sandwich that we call the Mueller investigation. I think part of the gaps in these narratives, Joe, are 
uh, bear traps being laid by the shadow government for conspiracy theorizing people uh, to step into and to and to uh, well almost it's almost like they're giving conspiracy theorists the rope needed to hang themselves because remember the people at the top know what really happened. Uh, this notion that the FBI just doesn't know who Paddock was or why he did what he did and what's this and what's that, that's, that's ridiculous. The FBI has been a competent law enforcement agency for almost a hundred years tracking down some pretty big time criminals when you look at the history of the, the mafia and the, and the, and the bank robbers of the thirties and all these things. The FBI knows what they're doing. Gaps in the narrative. Question, Joe. Are they being specifically left there? either by the FBI or by their news media lapdogs? Well, that's a good question, and I wish we knew the real answer to it. We know that there are, uh, like never before, Internet sleuths out there who are able to find anything. So I don't think that they're leaving much to chance at this point because people are able to dox people and events. And uh, we saw this after the Vegas shooting. Paddock was connected to a number of different things even some ranches in Nevada that were co-owned or owned that had his name on them, which we were never able to really find out the true meaning or reasons why his name was on those papers. But, you know, this is why I believe, um, you know, when you look at something like the Florida shooting versus the Las Vegas shooting, we saw two completely different types of uh, cooperation from the FBI and from the local law enforcement. There was no shortage of information. We learned all about Cruz, his family life, you know, from his infancy to his 17 or 18 year old, however he was when he carried out the shooting, all the problems from home, the 911 calls, the disciplinary problems, you know, his financials, on and on and on. His, you know, political leanings, the little video clips of him in his backyard firing a pistol to his Instagram photos. With Paddock, we had none of this. No social media profile to be found. Uh, even that Mary Lou Danley she basically uh, disconnected any association with him before his name was even released after the event happened. There are so many more questions with the Vegas. We have not been told anything, and that always will leave gaps for conspiracies to to run amok. And we see this uh, with the Las Vegas example more so than any other in the past. And I would say, really, people have been tame. I mean, we have the uh, you know the Saudi prince angle where people are looking at the top four floors of the Mandalay Bay having uh, some... Uh, connection to this event like it was some sort of attempted assassination on a Saudi prince. You had the gun and drug running angles. You have the ISIS and Antifa angles. I'd say all in all, people have been pretty calm and collected not throwing out conspiracy theories like he was an FBI agent or a CIA agent or things of that nature. But yes, the lack of information leaves open uh, the very real possibility for any other explanation that that can uh, be half plausible to fill that hole. So you, I'm sure if you polled ten people as to why they believed it happened, you're going to get you know eight to ten different answers. Well, well, depends on the ten people. If you pull, if you yeah. polled uh, ten True. people and just out of average America, you'd get ten What's of Las the same. Vegas? You'd get ten of the same answers exactly. These people unfortunately don't know who Mike Pence is. Uh, but don't forget, Joe, when we look at Las Vegas, there's also the ketamine component. And what was Paddock doing yeah, involved with I this? With this, with this uh, pharmaceutical... Could have been uh, a money uh, thing. It could have been something else. There's the money laundering question. And then, not to throw a skunk on the table, but there's also the brother who was involved in child pornography. Uh, allegedly. Alleg- yeah. Allegedly. Pardon me. Par- pardon me, Paddock brother. Uh, <laughs> allegedly. Uh, but, this, but, Joe, this goes... This, this, I think, segues nicely into 
what I'm seeing is a bigger picture developing here. And so uh, I've been writing a lot lately, and I want to thank all the Hagman listeners and viewers who have been kind enough to take the time to read these articles. It started the series, uh, uh, the fourth installment of which posted yesterday. The series began on February 28th with the article about Dr. Jerome Corsi and what happened with him on YouTube. And uh, yesterday's installment is The New Media Must Survive the Network Media Mindset. And I just want to take a moment to explain what I mean by the title, because what what I believe is happening here is we have created over the past eight to ten years, it started inarguably with Alex Jones and InfoWars, and over the last, about about the last ten years with, with the advent of Breitbart, and then came, you know, uh, and then WorldNet Daily came to the forefront, even though they've been around a while. The Hagman Report's been around seven years. Caravan to Midnight started four years ago, and the list goes on and on. We showed, we demonstrated, as I said last hour with Jim Hoff, we demonstrated our power to do nothing short of put a, a massive, uh, a, a candidate rated as one of the biggest underdog in modern political history. And in aggregate, together, the new media put Donald J. Trump in the White House. It's payback time. And so what's troubling me, Joe, you made an excellent point a moment ago about the capability uh, frankly, that some of our friends and friends of this program have to dox uh, individuals. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know what doxing is, it's just the capability of using the, the, the hundreds of millions of points of data available on the Internet to, for example, determine who that assailant with the bike lock was at the Antifa rally or to locate Shia LaBeouf's um, yeah, uh, flag, he and then, the flag. Yeah, and then hang a hang a mega hat on the flagpole out in the middle of that nowhere, so Tennessee. Funny. That those are uh, good examples of doxing. But you know, the guy had to move that flag out of the country, and it still got found <laughs> and taken down. <laughs> I, anyway, I, anyway, um, so so this is what's concerning me now is and and Jim spoke uh to this last hour and by the way if you're joining us uh, uh mid show here uh please go back in archives and and just take a quick listen to some of Jim Hoft's insights we're blessed to have you know uh the founder of Gateway Pundit for example uh join us and what's happening now Joe is i think the powers that be the ensconced bureaucracy the deep state uh, the shadow government, the uh, what, I, what I'm calling the media barons and their snot-nosed tech tyrant offspring, what we're seeing is there's such competency now in the new media in being able to locate a flagpole that was moved from Manhattan to the middle of Tennessee and being able to locate it within 24 hours, take the flag down and put a mega hat in its place. The new media has demonstrated such competence and such power, again, in putting Donald Trump in office, that now the legacy media, the dinosaur media, and and this sort of cabal, this, this Hollywood, Silicon Valley cabal, and how appropriate they're both in California as well, they are just not pulling punches anymore. They're saying, they're saying okay, if you're getting too close to the fire for, for our comfort, we'll just shut you down. We'll just turn you off. And this is happening, essentially, Joe, to everyone we know. And I'll, I'll say this, and I'll hand it back to you. Liberty columnist, uh, Anthony Cordonuga. I spoke with him today. I hadn't talked to him for a while, and, and our listeners and viewers may recall that he works with Melissa Zachariah, the honeybee, and her team. And they've got that big documentary, Kids, Inc., coming out this summer that features uh, Doug Hagman, among others. 
I talked to Anthony today. Joe, his YouTube channel was taken down in the Saturday Night Massacre. And, oh, I'm sure. And there are a lot more that we don't know about. Exactly. And the reason I mention this is because you don't have to be a multi-million subscriber powerhouse to be in the crosshairs of these people. Well, no. They go after the, the people that they can, uh, you know, that they believe that they can get away with with minimal pushback. People who don't have tens of thousands of, of subscribers who are going to jump in and write letters and make noise because some of their favorite YouTube personalities are no longer there. And that is um, unfortunate. And we we talked about this on The Daily Show. Why do we see YouTube restoring certain channels? We saw them restoring Jake Morphonius's channel. We know uh, they restored a few others. I can't remember off the top of my head. But if the if the is it truly a mistake by the by the YouTube moderators, or is are they not liking the pushback that they're seeing? I don't know what's going on, but in, in my mind, if they are really doing this for the political purposes of censorship, which we know that they are, why then re- go ahead and restore the channels when you get uh, some pushback, either from a group or, or a few people who um, are complaining, unless they are you know, trying to, to play by their, their own rules, which I find very hard to believe. So the whole thing is confusing me. But it is good to see those channels restored, and nobody should have their channels taken down for any speech unless they're calling for violence. Or pet or pedophilia, child right. trafficking, some some other heinous type of 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 issue. Uh, Joe, it's interesting because uh, there's a video that surfaced about a week ago. Richie from Boston, and and I'm not really familiar with Richie from Boston's work, no, but I know a lot either. of our listeners and viewers are, many are. And uh, he's driving his car, and he's shooting a video while he's driving. And he essentially says, look, I had 5,700 subscribers email YouTube, and I went and got an attorney, and I made it clear uh, through my attorney's office that I wasn't going to take this lying down. And that was the day after uh, Dr. Jerome Corsi voluntarily pulled his content down. Now, to reflect quickly on that story, Dr. Jerome Corsi, uh, Washington Bureau Chief for InfoWars, formerly senior writer for WorldNet Daily, big-time best-selling author, he... Uh, had two strikes levied against him simultaneously, and he opted to pull his content down, and then, and then ex post facto, after he will, willingly took uh, uh, all of his videos down, a third strike was levied against him, and his channel was deleted. And this all happened in a very compressed period, February 28th and March 1st. And now Dr. Corsi's channel's been reinstated. Why? Because it made the front and center of Drudge Report. A couple of days later, Richie from Boston, he's back in action because, again, uh, this is his own his own reporting. He had 5,700 subscribers that got noisy about it. Uh, I'm told that Jake Morphonius's channel has been reinstated as yeah. well, but there's certainly many others uh, who have not. And while we're on the topic of YouTube, I just want to say quickly, a uh, good friend of the show and, and a personal friend of mine, uh, and I'm proud to say so, Tracy Beans, uh, she put out a great uh, piece on YouTube about well, about 24 hours ago, that uh, just look for the piece that's titled Angela Merkel and Australia and a little bit on Kenya. And, Joe, I want to draw your attention to, we, we can't go into this because it's way too long, but Washington Post, uh, three writers, uh, Greg Miller, uh, Julie uh, Vitsniskaya, I believe, and Ruben Fisher Baum uh, put this piece together for the Washington Post. Quote, this will make me look terrible full transcripts of Trump's calls with Mexico and Australia. And the reason I bring this up is, listeners and viewers, you've got to read the dialogue between President Donald J. Trump and Australian President Malcolm Turnbull. Yeah, you were telling me it, that. It is phenomenal. I'm going to check that out. <laughs> it's really good. 
If we remember, John, we'll just talk about that on the Daily Show tomorrow. Absolutely. Because uh, that I, I love to read those behind-the-scenes conversations, and, you know, everybody thinks it's all polished and, you know, all the proper English is used, and it, it's very uh, formal and whatnot. But from what you were telling me, this doesn't seem to be that. This seems seems to be just an ongoing dialogue of, you know, yes, I'll do this, and we'll, we'll try to do this, and it doesn't seem very polished, and it, it seems like there's a lot of pushback. <laughs> no, it's, it's not it's not polished, but, Joe, it's one of the main reasons that that uh, 306 electoral votes and 62 mm-hmm. million people put President Trump in office, because... He calls it like he sees it, and I'm yep. not gonna, I'm not gonna butcher this article, and because the humor is to be found in the verbatim exchange, let me just, uh, direct our, our, uh, listeners and viewers. It's, again, it's, uh, it's WashingtonPost.com, and it was posted, uh, on, uh, back on August 3, 2017. You might be able to find a better source than the Washington Post, but yeah. Well, this is the full transcript. It's like okay. 18 or 19 pages long. It's it's the verbatim transcript. But the place to find this easily is go to Tracy Bean's YouTube channel, listen to her piece on Angela Merkel, uh, the, the, the Australia thing, and you'll find the link in the description on her channel. All right, we're up against a break. Wanted to make sure I got this in there before we ran out of time. CBS mocks college snowflakes who don't understand free speech. That's the headline from newsbusters.org. But the story is much better and more important than the headline. In a piece titled Democracy Dies in Darkness, the Washington Post does not seem too concerned that nearly four out of ten college students thinks it's okay to silence free speech if they don't like what it says. And it goes on from there, and it talks about how 37% of college students said that shutting down speakers is acceptable. 10% saying violence to prevent someone from speaking is acceptable. Pretty terrifying. When we come back, Sergeant Sangari running for the 9th District in Illinois. He's going to be our guest. And then Peter Chalka takes us out. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, and we're going to be joined by Sarjah Sangari here in just a few moments. I want to bring your attention to a piece that I found here during the break. You just got to scratch your head and say, what? Parents up in arms after NYPD removes cops from schools. The last NYPD cops assigned full-time to New York City public schools are being removed, despite nationwide calls for heightened security in the wake of last month's Florida Florida shooting. As the nation mourned the 17 victims of the school massacre at Parkland, the NYPD was removing uh, pe- police from their post in high schools and schools around New York City. Parents and teachers and students are livid, livid over the cops' departure. Why are they doing this? Well, the position was eliminated because cops in Mayor de Blasio's new community policing units will visit the schools while patrolling the neighborhood instead of being assigned to the schools. The once common practice of putting an armed cop in schools what does this say? Waned in the 1990s, all but gradually eliminated. But there were a few that were able to keep their jobs in these schools, having full-time NYPD officers assigned to these schools. Now, some are blaming the PTA and, and others are blaming the NYPD, while many are blaming de Blasio, as this is a de Blasio policy. And this was also centered on Fox and Friends this morning. New York City's anti-gun mayor kicks out armed officers from school, and parents are furious. You can go to the Fox News YouTube channel, or you can go search that story out online. I thought that was pretty interesting, um, especially right after the wake of, of what we are seeing. And, and despite what the media says, Jim Hoff said this best last segment, and you did too, John, that this is all the the people in the 
corporate news media hear is what their own uh, other networks and journalists or so-called journalists are echoing. So it's one big echo chamber, and they believe that the majority of the American people believe in what they're saying, but in reality they don't. And so when you see things like these uh, you know, progressive mayors implementing policies that are completely contrary to what even citizens in New York City want, uh, you see how this can backfire, and we'll see what kind of backlash, if any, de Blasio will get for this. I don't think it will be much, but either way, it's an interesting story nonetheless. I, okay, question. Uh, many, many of our listeners and viewers get up every day, they go to work, and uh, I think I described this on The Daily Show a week or two ago, Joe. Uh, in most corporate environments today, and frankly in most blue-collar environments as well, you've got to get past the the parking garage gate that usually requires a magnetized swipe card of some sort or a, or a uh, or a numeric code and then when you enter the building you need to have a secondary pass or lanyard of some type uh in order to get up to your office and then of course in the blue collar world it's the same thing to get to get through the yard gate you have to have a code in the television and film business where i come from uh getting on a studio lot is more security uh, more heavy security-wise than going through the TSA dog and pony show. So, Joe, what is de Blasio thinking? Why it, Why are parents okay with their lives being guarded with two and three layers of security, yeah. and yet they take their precious defenseless little kids and drop them off at these commie indoctrination schools uh, with these crackpots like de Blasio that somehow think that an AR-15 floats into a room and kills people? I just... I, I, I don't get it. And again... People need to use the freedom they have in an open market capitalist society, which, sorry, uh, college kids, we still are, and uh, and vote with your dollars and vote with your feet. And 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 I feel badly for a lot of the parents who have no choice, Joe, uh, as far as uh, their kids' educations. You know, the state and the counties bleed them dry for their property taxes to pay for this. I'm sorry, but it's just leftist communist indoctrination at this point. And and now you can make an argument, Joe, these school shootings have become so prevalent. Uh I, if I were a parent, I'd be I'd be scared to send my kids to school. Oh yeah, I would uh yeah, you you, you would be sure when I do have children that they will be homeschooled. I will have to make time uh for that or figure something out because I would not want to send them into a place where they uh, could be victims and, and where politics are involved and they're removing guns and, and they have these gun instilling gun-free zones. Um, I'm not, I, I wouldn't imagine any other uh, parents would want to send their children to school in today's day and age where this wasn't even an issue when I was in school 20, 20 some years ago. Uh, I don't know, maybe longer than that now, but the, the first, the, the Columbine sh- shooting happened uh, right after I was out of high school or, or um, maybe the last year I was in school, but it is a different world out there today. And, uh, you know, from the Austin bombings that we're all monitoring to, to see what's going on with to these, this huge phenomenon of school shooters, it is definitely an atmosphere where you would think more security, more layers of security would be the answer. Uh, you're not going to, and you're never going to be able to get the Second Amendment ban. So I don't even know why that is uh, on the table. Well, we do know why it's on the table, because this is what the left is trying to do. This is what the New World Order, the deep state, has been trying to do. This is one of the planks of the uh, anti-American communist agendas that has been um, you know, around since the inception of America. It's just gotten more legs than it has uh, in recent, in any time in the recent past. We're attempting to bring on Sarja Sangari. I don't know 
we're having some problems. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Eric knows how to operate the buttons. I don't know. If, no, I think it's a, a, a thing of not having the right Skype account or a connection issue, but we'll try to get him on his backup line. Go to HagmanReport.com. Peter Chowk is going to be joining us. He's got two pieces up on Hagman Report under exclusive reports. One, Mike Pence makes news tonight, March 12th, when he appears on Hannity. And he's been in the news for other reasons. He was attacked by the ladies on The View and called mentally ill for his Christian faith. And i gotta got to hand it to Newsbusters, to the Media Research Center. They have not let this go, and they have waged a campaign uh, to call the advertisers of ABC, of The View, for... Uh, make to make Joy Bayer issue issue a public apology uh, a public apology for calling Mike Pence and his Christianity uh, mentally ill. And, now and she I, did. Do you have this? How she this has went with with Pence. She apologized to him personally, but refused to public uh, apologize to Christians publicly. Okay, but I don't know beyond that. No, there's a there's a there's a a life lesson in here, and uh, Joe, I'm sorry for stepping on you, but no, I, you're fine. I, Go I got for excited. It. Uh, this is from uh, Peter Barry Chaka's article, and uh, this is a direct uh, quote from Mike Pence, and he says, uh, "You know, uh, you and I know that criticism comes with public life, but I felt it was important that I defend the faith of." Tens of millions of Americans against that kind of slander, referring to Joy Bear's uh, remarks that Joe just referenced. And I did so. And you know, I give Joy Bear a lot of credit. She picked up the phone, she called me, she was very sincere, and she apologized. And one of the things that my faith teaches me is grace. Forgive, uh, forgive as you've been forgiven. So, a big fat tip of the hat here at the Hagman Report to Vice President Mike Pence. You know, Joe, you and I have talked about this many, many times uh, over the years. One of the inarguable tenets of the Bible is when Christ admonishes us that we must forgive, must, so that mm-hmm. we may be forgiven by him to the Father. And it, it's a cyclical thing. And then, of course, we know as soon as you get old enough in life and you've been through enough, enough bumps and bruises, you know that failure to forgive people who transgress you and who hurt you, it doesn't hurt them. It just hurts you. It makes you a bitter and cynical and sarcastic person. And I've met lots of people, Joe, it's sad, but they're going through their life day after day after day with no joy whatsoever. And what most of those people have in common is they they have an inability to forgive. So, again, major props to uh, VP Mike Pence. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it is unfortunate that you have the attack of, of Christians, of Christianity. And this is what we talk about. This is what the Trump hate is really all about. And we have detailed how the uh, the corruption, the attempted coup against President Trump from the 2016 presidential campaign and the Hillary Clinton, FBI, DOJ, you know, corruption, a nexus of corruption, and she failed to secure the win because people, uh, for a number of reasons, one, were so outraged that she was in the most politi- politically corrupt candidate in presidential history. And also, she she was just evil. Everything that she wanted to do was anti-American, was anti-constitutional. And, and if she was president, we definitely wouldn't be on the air right now. But one thing that's really interesting, and I think it's a change of pace for what people expect expected, is that this deep state continues to push forward with this anti-American agenda, even under Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is only one man. He, We cannot expect him to cure all the country's woes while he is president. And we have seen this huge, I don't know what you call it, a setback in the prepper survival 
a movement where uh, companies that were thriving under the uh, Obama presidency, it seems like people, now that President Trump was elected, have figured, oh, we don't have to worry about, you know, a, a market crash or a situation where, you know, we're going to be finding ourselves in war and whatnot. Well, I got news for you. One of the areas, John, I know you're most concerned about on the Trump presidency is foreign policy. Now, this is news that is just coming out from the Hill. Nikki Haley said the U.S. is prepared to take military action in Syria if the United Nations does not act. Nikki Haley told the United Nations Security Council that if it rejected the Syria proposal, the U.S. would act unilaterally, meaning another undeclared war. Is this something that would ruin the Trump presidency? I think it would. If we go in and attack Syria, if we engage in a military battle in Syria, after they've already declared that ISIS has been defeated, this would be the one failure in the Trump administration that could potentially end his presidency. And this is uh, something that we don't want to hear. Leave Syria alone at this point. You've destroyed the country. You've destroyed the oldest city on the earth, Damascus. Just like the Bible said, behold, Damascus will be a ruinous heap. It is a ruinous heap at this point. And you have Russia, Iran, America, all these nations in Syria fighting. What are they fighting? Assad still is in power. You have the rebels, the U.S. armed rebels that are still there fighting. And they are not good people from everything that we've read and from what we understand. But we're really threatening unilateral action, war in Syria, if the U.N. does not intervene. You I know, find that amazing. You know, this is this is. Uh, I think this is interesting. Joe, did you know that that Nikki uh, Haley's father is Sikh? I, no, I, I, I didn't did not know, know that. Now, but this is why I bring this up. Uh, I only know this because uh, I've always been I've always been curious about about Nikki Haley. You know, she's like this this former governor who's this like neocon firecracker, and she just she's she's practically has like these Khrushchev moments in the UN. I, I sometimes expect Joe to see her pull one of her pumps off and start banging on the table in the UN. I mean, she's a she's a firecracker, no question about it. But I saw Christmas photos of her family and she, and uh, yeah, her her parents are I I can't remember from what country, but her father is. Like he wears the, the the turban and doesn't cut his hair and so forth. And the reason I bring this up is one of the primary tenets of being Sikh is uh, total passivity. Um, okay. Now uh, I, I'm not that familiar. I'm not that familiar either. But I thought it was kind of an interesting an interesting footnote. Now with Syria, I would remind our listeners and viewers. Kind of did a little departure last week, Joe. You may recall I I, I uh, wrote an article about uh, President Putin's remarks uh in front of the Duma and the federal uh parliamentarians and and many regional governors uh in Moscow back on March 1st and we had Dr. Peter Vincent Pry on last week and it was kind of cool how this came together I'll give people just a quick little behind the scenes uh, I wrote an article about about President Putin's uh proclamation and and almost I would say borderline bragging about these third generation uh super high tech weapons uh, the Samat missile and uh, these hypersonic missiles, what we call Satan II. And uh, then Dr. Peter Vincent Pry, former CIA, wrote a, a an outstanding complimentary article that really went into detail about these weapon systems. And we know, Joe, that that some of, not all, but some of the venture capital that created the, the technical innovations that uh, made these weapon systems possible back in 2009, 2010, were a scheme cooked up by then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and her counterpart, uh, uh, Russian uh, uh, 
the, the Russian version of Secretary of State, I believe he would be the Foreign Minister, uh, Sergei Lavrov, uh, the Skolkovo um, Innovation Center in Russia, where the United States and several mega corporations, including Microsoft, Cisco, uh, and Boeing, as well as General Electric, poured millions and millions of dollars. At these mega corporations, these American corporations, as well as uh, as well as 17 European Union countries were able to come up with a, a, a billion dollars, billion with a B, to pour into what was supposed to be this Russian, this new Russian Silicon Valley. And they did so. Uh, for those who didn't read the article, I really appreciate the opportunity to say this right now, live on the Hagman Report. In fiscal year 2010, which is when the big checks were cut, so let me, let me, let me reiterate. Cisco, Microsoft, General Electric, Boeing wrote checks to the Russians to create Skolkovo uh, Innovation Center, which doesn't make sense on, on its face because that's creating future global competition for companies like General Electric and Boeing. But they did so, and two of those companies, both Boeing and General Electric, paid zero dollars and zero cents in federal income tax in the year 2010. What that means is that you and I, listeners and viewers, we paid by default through our taxes for the the technological advances that enabled President Putin to brag in his State of the Union a week and a half ago about these weapon systems. And he said multiple times, Joe, through that State of the Union address, that any attack on Russia or her allies, and I put in the article parenthetically, think Syria, think Iran, would be met without hesitation with the full force and fury of Russia's military might. So, Nikki Haley, with all due respect, I ask you, what are you thinking talking about unilateral action against Syria in the UN and the United States, quote-unquote, going it alone? And moreover, I'll ask the listeners and the viewers, and feel free to shoot us an email, studio at, at Hagman and Hagman. Why do we even care? Assad's been there hanging on for over seven years, Joe. Um, I, I don't mean to be rude. I, my heart is, it, my heart weeps. I have deep empathy for the Syrian Christians who remain, you know, all like 12 of them. Uh, but why do we care? Why don't we just leave this area of the world alone? It's, it's clearly a, a global flashpoint. The Chinese are there. The Turks are there. The Iranians are there. The Russians are there. Uh, Joe, uh, what's your opinion on this? I think we shouldn't be there. Well, you know, unfortunately, uh, this is an area that is war-torn specifically because of the U.S. In, the US intervention, not only in Syria, but also in, in the rest of the Middle East, from uh, Libya to all these countries that we've seen, Iraq, Afghanistan, and the number of other the, the countries with deposed leaders where U.S. intervened. And Syria is just the only reason this is still ongoing is because Assad has not fallen. The United States Obama administration State Department goal, which is the same as the globalist think tank, the globalist think tank's goal was to remove Assad as the leader of Syria. Now, I know a lot of people might not agree with this, but I've done a lot of research and listened to a lot of interviews Assad has given, and I tend to like the man. Many people will say, oh, how can you say that? He murders his own citizens and this and that. Well, we hear a lot of propaganda about some of these Middle Eastern leaders that have been taken out, Gaddafi being one of them. And one thing you can't say about Assad is that he was 
a person who hated Christians. He kept peace in Syria between the Jews, between the Christians, and between the Muslims. And he had a, a, a very, I mean, you think of Syria, a lot of people think it's, you know, some poor, impoverished, third world nation well syria was was it's basically one of the oldest it's old israel it's one of the oldest countries in the world and that's why the u.s can't stay out of it it's a prophetic thing as well when you see uh you know iraq former babylon being raided what were some of the reports that we heard after uh saddam hussein fell that the u.s was looting these ancient babylonian artifacts and and other treasures from uh i i uh what am I talking from about? Iraq. From Iraq. <laughs> and we have, you know, who are the last two big enemies on the on the United States hit list? It's North Korea and Iran. Why is that? I, a part of me believes because we're not, they are not part of the, you know, New World Order financial or Federal Reserve financial system. They are holdouts uh, of what is stopping progress of a one world type government. And as much as they are boogeymen and, and you know, North Korea citizens are, are as impoverished as any worst third world nation in the world. Yet at the same time, uh, you know, those people are, are dictators, what we see in North Korea and Iran. It's a much different story there. Former Persia. There is so much biblical history here. There is so much prophecy that still has to unfold. And this was the, uh, it's, it's the center of the world, this area. And make no mistake, there are prophetic implications with all these. Well, I have a question. Does the Bible not say that Israel will return to the size that it once was, which would encompass most of Syria, which would encompass Jordan, um, if it does return to those biblical boundaries that it where when it first started? So I believe that there is a lot more here than just foreign policy decisions being made for the the betterment of civilians in you know halfway around the world. Huh. This has something and everything to do with you know anything from the oil to control. Uh, who knows what else? And, and I'm sure we don't and have never heard the true agendas as to why we are still in Syria. And if ICE is defeated, why is Iran? Why is Russia? Why are the U.S. all still having troops and still fighting there? And apparently there was a ceasefire agreement. They did not stick to the uh, deal of the agreement. They made, Haley says Syria and Russia have made a mockery of a ceasefire agreement. And they said that a U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, on Monday proposed new binding resolution imposing an immediate 30-day ceasefire in the Syrian, in the Syrian region, saying Russia and Syrian regimes immediately disregarded the U.N. ceasefire agreement passed last month. This is why she's angry. She goes on to say 500 citizens have been killed since the ceasefire was issued. In the past 16 days, over 500 civilians have died, and some reports put the death toll even higher. This is unacceptable. This is why she is saying if the U.N. does not act, that the United States will. But make no mistake, minus Assad being removed from power, the United States is never going to be happy with the results in Syria. And it doesn't matter. What, what is she concerned about 500 people dying in the last 16 days? You have over a million people that have died there in the last six years, and still you continue to push and perpetuate violence against this country not backing up its leader in its fight against ISIS, instead funding and arming ISIS, and then saying the leader is the bad guy. We're on the wrong side of history and on the wrong side of uh, right and wrong on this one. Oh, you better And hopefully, it. you know, people like President Trump and others step in to talk some sense into, uh, you know, this New World Order uh, military, and uh, we better not see any kind of unwarranted, uncongressional 
actions of war against another con- country without the declaration of war first. Well, particularly particularly Syria uh, or Iran. Now, Joe, you men- mentioned a moment ago, we probably don't know. Uh, it's probably like an iceberg. We're probably seeing the very tip of this oh, yeah. issue. Uh, I well, think... 95% of it's underwater where you can't see <laughs> right. it. Yeah. Uh, but, but we do know that ISIS, uh, as, as, as John B. Wells used to say a year or two ago, ISIS is us's. And, you know, ISIS came on the scene almost overnight. Al-Qaeda is out. ISIS is in. They've got all these modern weapons, many of which were created by the United States military industrial complex. Couple of, uh, a couple of thoughts. First of all, General Wesley Clark, there is one glimpse that we've had, Joe, and, and I don't uh, mind reminding uh, folks of this tonight. General Wesley Clark, four-star general, supreme uh, commander of NATO for a number of years, and this piece I pulled up, uh, I believe this is uh, some, some liberal think tank, globalresearch.ca, uh, but it was the first thing that came up when I did the search. Uh, global warfare, quote, we're going to take out seven countries in five years. This was, this was, uh, this was information that a subordinate tried to hand General Wesley Clark back in 2002 in the immediate post 9-11 world, but he refused to take the actual document because he would have then be re- been required legally to disclose uh, the information, or if it was marked in a particular level of confidentiality, then he would be forced to not ever discuss the document. Those seven countries are listed right here. Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Iran. Now, we've seen most of those countries, quote-unquote, dealt with unilaterally by the U.S. or under some coalition of the willing during George W. Bush's time in the White House. But this is another interesting part of the puzzle, Joe. I agree with you. North Korea, uh, Saddam Hussein's Iraq, and uh, Bashar Assad's Syria are not part of the Rothschild-controlled global banking cartel. Neither is uh, is uh, Kim Jong-un's uh, North Korea. So that is certainly a monetary motivation for bringing these countries uh, under the heel of U.S. military might and forcing our political will through force of arms on these countries. But the other component that's interesting, and this comes from a private conversation I had last week, with uh, Dane Wigington, uh, uh, geoengineeringwatch.org. And uh, Dane and I were able to chat for a number of, uh, uh, probably a good half hour, 45 minutes last week. And I asked him, I said, Dane, let's talk about the Wesley Clark thing. These seven countries, do you have any uh, proof, any evidence of what the geoengineering programs in these countries were prior to U.S. invasion, involvement, sanctions, Undeclared military action, et cetera, et cetera, and and Dane became very passionate very quickly, and he informed me, Joe, that that one of the similarities in all these countries is zero geoengineering, aka chem trailing in the sky, and as soon as the United States puts the military force on the ground, in the air, et cetera, and brings these what we call rogue states certainly rogue by international banking definition, that the chemtrails are all over the place. So this has a geoengineering component to it as well, Joe. Yeah, it does. And we're just a minute away from the break, and we're going to be joined by Peter Chowka next. Want to touch on this. I don't know how many people saw this. O.J. Simpson confesses to murder. After 24 years, any mystery surrounding the murders of Nicole Brown system and Ron Goldman is over because O.J. Simpson confessed. 
I wanted to talk about this because growing up, this was something that I remember uh, from my younger days is the car chase when O.J. Simpson went on the run. My grandfather was still alive, and I remember sitting and watching the chase on TV with him. But Fox News aired a segment or a piece called O.J. Simpson, The Lost Confession, which apparently was videotaped in 2006, where O.J. starts out telling a story about if he was the one who killed his ex-wife and Ron Goldman, how he would have done it. And he starts out by saying, telling a hypothetical story. But at some point, he goes into first-person mode and talks about how the whole thing unfolded. And at some point, says he grabbed the knife and, and stabbed everybody. And before he grabbed the knife, he took the gun, the glove off. That's why the glove was found there. But then he goes back to, oh, but, you know, uh, this is just hypothetical. If I did do it, this is how I would do it. But you got to watch the video because there's something more there. Is this the confession of O.J. Simpson? Very interesting either way. We're going to be right back with Peter Chowka. Don't go anywhere. third and final hour on this Monday, March 12th edition of the Hagman Report. Each Monday in Hour 3, we are joined by Peter Barry Chowka. He is a, a listener favorite, and he is an author as well as an investigative journalist. And you can go on our, our website, Hagman Report. On the right-hand side, there is a section, Peter Chowka, and it has his latest pieces up there, two from the last 24 hours, one on Mike Pence's appearance on Sean Hannity tonight, and the other one, it's time for Juan Williams to go. I know Juan Williams is one of uh, Peter Chowka's favorite Fox News pundits, and we're going to talk about that with him to see uh, exactly what's going on with, with Fox News, how he's liking Mark Levin's new show, and a whole host of, of other issues, any and everything that Peter wants to get into as we continue to move forward with the news of the Robert Mueller, if you guys missed the, the first uh, the first segment. Robert Mueller is expanding his investigation. The title is Fishing. Mueller invokes unusual conspiracy to defraud government charge to ensnare more targets. And it's really interesting because in this clause, or whatever it is, conspiracy to defraud the government, they don't even need a crime in order to charge the president. So what will come of this, if anything... Rod Rosenstein, Deputy Attorney General, says Robert Mueller is not an unguided missile. He is very focused on his uh, Russia election interference investigation. And there's a piece from the USA Today detailing all of that. But we have with us Peter Chowka. Again, you can find him. He writes for American Thinker as well as Hagman Report. There's two new pieces up there. Peter, welcome back to the show. Great to be with you again, and good evening to both of you and John. Well, it's great to have you, Peter. I, I was just telling our audience how Juan Williams was your favorite Fox News pundit, and I was surprised to see the article up there about you thinking it's uh, time for him to go. Does he reach his retirement age, or, or what's going on? Well, there's an interesting story about that article, and actually still recovering from uh, all the time it took in, took to write it on top of the switch to daylight saving time, which I hate. It always disrupts my a uh, weird schedule as it is. Yeah. But on Friday night, la last Friday night, I was watching uh, Shannon Bream's show on Fox News, Fox News at Night, 
live, and she touched on the story of Louis Farrakhan, the head of the Nation of Islam, a.k.a. the Black Muslims, and the Daily Caller first reported on, on uh, March 5th that at least seven leading Democrat pol politicians have been very closely allied with uh, Minister Farrakhan, and this is problematic because uh, there's a lot of evidence going back 30 years or more that Minister Louis Farrakhan is a racist and an anti-Semite. These are not my allegations. This is well-documented uh, in his own words, by the way. And in fact, earlier Friday night on his program on Fox News, Sean Hannity took up that subject, and he played excerpts of Farrakhan's speeches going back to the 1980s in which he makes incendiary racist anti-Semitic comments one of them, uh, or some of them, in a speech most recently on February 25th, which is what got the ball rolling on this renewed look at him and how these Democrats have been playing footsie with him. So on Shannon Bream's show, which aired live 11 p.m. Eastern last Friday, she touched on this subject and then introduced her guests, one of whom was um, Juan Williams, who is a co-host of The Five. He's a heavy-duty contributor to Fox News and has been for more than a decade. And uh, he's a prominent on-air host and personality on Fox News, increasingly more liberal. So I watched this unfold live, and he was on the air with um, a Daily Caller editor uh, named Vince, and I'm temporarily forgetting his last name, but uh, he... he acquitted himself very well, but as I'm watching this unfold on live television, I was absolutely stunned at uh, the words coming out of Juan Williams's mouth. He not only defended the Democrat politicians who uh, were playing ball with Farrakhan, but he also appeared to defend Farrakhan himself. And not only that... Um, well, after the broadcast ended, I uh, quickly found a, a video of it online at YouTube, and I instinctively started playing it back and transcribing what had just unfolded. And this is a, a long process to transcribe accurately and perfectly what someone has said, especially someone like Juan Williams, who doesn't speak in complete sentences, who changes subjects uh, multiple times within a sentence, has a lot of ahs and pauses, and I try to get all of that down. Uh, because it's the transcript that really tells the story of what he said, what came out of his mouth. And I was struck at not only his mealy-mouthed uh, acceptance, apparently, of Farrakhan and his hate speech, but uh, of just the, the total inability he had to, to express himself. And I thought, there, Fox News is paying this guy reportedly up to $2 million a year for this kind of performance, and so I, I started writing an article about it, and um, I thought it might be difficult because this is a sensitive subject, and the article that emerged after about 14 or 16 hours of work over the next day and a half uh, was published at American Thinker early this morning, and it turned out to be one of my most successful and highly read articles of the last year. At last count, it had gotten 661 reader responses, and uh, I think that translates into about 100,000 
age views plus or minus. So it really hit a nerve. It found an audience because uh, Juan Williams is an unpopular figure among regular viewers of Fox News, and many of those read American Thinker. So I also put the article up at the Hagman Report, and I didn't have time to format it properly with all of the quotes, so I put the beginning of it up there and then linked to the rest of the article at American Thinker, but it's also uh, easy to find at HagmanReport.com. And I really would recommend to listeners and viewers that they take the time to really read and digest this article because it's mind-boggling. And uh, some of the comments, well, as I said, it has now received 661 comments uh, at American Thinker, possibly a few more now. And uh, I wanted to quote two of them. Okay. One, one reader said, with the exception of Don Lemon at CNN, Juan Williams is the token affirmative action idiot of the media. He won't ever... <laughs> He won't ever lose his job for that reason alone. He is so intellectually dishonest that I am surprised he doesn't run for office. And I thought that was really <laughs> funny, actually. <laughs> and, of course, it hits the nail on the head, right? Oh, Peter, it certainly does. And, and by the way, uh, uh, welcome. It's uh, it's great to, to do a little bit of on-air time with you again. Um, but but Juan Williams, let's let's just pick on this guy a little bit for a minute, if if we may. I want to ask you to think back. Uh, oh, post nine eleven, the Hannity and Combs report. Now you've been our in-house media analyst for a while now, Peter, uh, but I've never had a chance to pick your brain about this. Uh, for the reason you just stated that you have this distaste for Juan Williams, and believe me, I share your sentiment. Uh, it, he reminds me of Alan Combs. Now, I'm told by people who, who have met or worked with Alan that he was a very, very nice uh, individual in, in, in day-to-day life. But, man, when Hannity was Hannity and Combs, I, I never felt an iota of intellectual sincerity from Alan Combs. To me, he seemed like a, a kid who, who was always on the, the, oppos- the, the opposition idea mm-hmm. in the debate club in high school. Peter, your thoughts right. on uh, Alan Combs, just, just quickly, I'm curious. Oh, well, you hit the nail on the head there, John. And we remember that Alan Combs co-hosted Hannity and Combs with Sean Hannity, which premiered on the day Fox News came on the air in October of 1996. However, by January of uh, 2009, which was the month that Barack Hussein Obama was inaugurated for the first time, uh, Combs gracefully left the program, uh, obviously at the urging of his bosses, and the show became Hannity, hosted by Sean Hannity by himself. Because I think many of the audience had become frustrated that it was this uh, it, it wasn't an intelligent debate show like the old Crossfire on CNN, which kind of kicked off this genre of uh, ideological competing talking heads way back in the 1980s. And Pat Buchanan was an original host of Crossfire back in, in those times. And it was a, a dynamic, interesting half-hour nightly show on CNN. And they also invited uh, two guests on as well from different points of view. So there were four people on Crossfire. Well, by 1996, um, Fox News gave kind of a takeoff on that format, a try with Hannity and Combs, but I agree with you. Alan Combs did not, in my opinion, and the late Alan Combs, may he rest in peace, he died several years ago at much too early age, obviously. Amen. But he didn't have the intellectual 
stamina or gravitas uh, to really carry it. And and so he retired from that show and went on to work on Fox News Radio, then unfortunately became ill and passed away. But right, uh, accounts of him are that he was a nice guy. In fact, uh, footnote here, uh, the great Barry Farber, whom I've become friends with in the past uh, five weeks and have become a regular on his show, and he is the last surviving original pioneer of uh, talk radio from the early days, in his case, the 1950s, who was still on the air at 87 years young. And uh, in the 1990s, I believe it was, when uh, uh, when Barry Farber had lost his national syndicator, he teamed up with Alan Combs to start a, a new network of talk show hosts, which didn't last too long. And I was thinking that if Barry Farber could work with Alan Combs, he must have been a decent guy because Barry Farber is a decent guy and he doesn't suffer fools easily. But um, but Juan Williams, now I, I have nothing personally against Juan Williams. In my article, by the way, in the 1800-word article that I finally wrote, I it is titled, uh, what is the title, Juan Williams Should Go or something, uh, and I said at the end, he should exit stage it's, left. It's time for Juan Williams to go. It's time for Juan Williams to go, right. Now, nowhere in that article, that's my personal opinion, nowhere did I say that he should be fired from Fox News or that he should resign or that sh his people unhappy with him should boycott the advertisers. No, I don't believe in any of that. But in my personal preference, I would not be sad to see him go. That's That's all I said, and I didn't. Uh, leave any other opinion in the article, share any other opinion other than just the facts. So it's mostly a transcription of what went down on Fox News on Friday night, live on the air, with some context and some quotes by Minister Louis Farrakhan. What I did not include in the article is uh, some additional research that I did over the weekend, which could really be a separate, separate article or articles or topic of discussion sometime which is the long uh, career of uh, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan of the Nation of Islam, to give him his just due. That's what he wants to be called. You know, more power to him. Uh, I found a, a complete recording on video of his first appearance, that is Farrakhan's first appearance with Phil Donahue from March of 1985. That's very interesting viewing. Of course, his complete speech from the Million Man March from October of 1995, which he organized on the Mall in Washington, D.C., is online and can be viewed. And I even fa found uh, his first television appearance from 1949, if you can believe that, an old black-and-white kinescope when he was performing on, I don't even know what program it was, he was 16 years old, uh, using his real name, and I forget what that was at the time, but performing uh, as a violin virtuoso. He was actually a, a very competent and capable classical violinist. And then a few years after that, he emerged as a calypso singer, a point, which, a point of information which Rush Limbaugh has delighted in uh, pointing out for years now. He's given him the title Calypso Louie, but uh, Louis Farrakhan did not perform under that name at that point. But uh, this man has a very long and interesting and fascinating history. And another footnote here, an old acquaintance and friend of mine from uh, four decades ago uh, uh, named uh, 
Megida, M-A-G-I-D-A, wrote a book on Farrakhan, and Mr. Megida is Jewish, and he actually spent considerable time with Louis Farrakhan and wrote, I haven't read the book, but I recall in the reviews, uh, they were just, this book was described as being somewhat favorable to Louis Farrakhan, so I want to try to track that down to uh, do some more research and, and see what that's all about, but you know, this is an incredible story of these Democrat politicians who are uh, tied up with Louis Farrakhan, their inability or unwillingness to uh, uh, call him out for his hate speech, uh, and, and which Juan Williams is also done now. And, and it's really, I would say in my opinion, it's despicable on all counts. But people really need to read this article to get the full flavor of it, uh, you know, I don't want to really give any more time to it right now, but it, it, it does deserve a close reading and analysis. And it's also interesting if people can go to American Thinker and read it there. It's currently the number one article at the top left of AmericanThinker.com. And just reading some of the reader comments and getting a sense of those, uh, they are very well informed. And uh, of course, some of it is calling Juan Williams names, but nothing too ugly in my opinion, and a lot of it is, is very thoughtful, and there, there are a few people who are defending Juan, and I certainly defend his right of free speech, I don't think he should be silenced or curtailed or fired or anything, but I almost wish that uh, they could bring Bob Beckel back, who was his predecessor on that terrible program, The View, and it has gone steadily downhill since Juan has been the liberal voice on that program, which airs on Fox News at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern Time daily. Uh, Peter, um, if, if I may, um, I'm curious to... Uh, I, I'm so grateful that uh, I had the opportunity to sit in for Doug this evening with you as, as our third-hour guest because uh, you have been active and involved for for many decades uh, and and you and I've had private conversations I'm aware of of uh, of what you were up to many many years ago when when we underwent massive shifts in our culture and in mm -hmm. our politics and our, and our political point of view as a people and then we saw those sh political shifts amplified by the mainstream media who in my opinion, uh, in the late 1960s and throughout the 1970s, was really a hesitant mainstream media to cover much of these things until, you know, the SDS, the Weather Underground, started blowing up banks and planting bombs everywhere, and it was kind of hard to ignore that type of thing. Peter, I want to uh, make sure we touch on your other piece about uh, VP Mike Pence, but let's save that t for toward the end because it's a, it's a feel-good mm -hmm. piece. It, it, uh, we shared a little bit of it, Joe and I, last hour, uh, and and we, we gave uh, huge Hagman props to Vice President Pence. But you know over the past uh, couple of weeks, uh, much as you're a, a, uh, a news hound tracking the media, and uh, not much gets by you, but I've been on this censorship issue and, and writing very prolifically the last uh, two, two and a half weeks, uh, posting my fourth piece on it yesterday. Uh, and that piece, Peter, uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet or not, but it's the new media mm -hmm. must survive the network media mindset. And the basic thesis of the article, Peter, is that is that this censorship model, which is, I think, the natural pushback from the media barons, the legacy media, as well as the Silicon Valley tech tyrants, uh, in the post-election uh, of Donald Trump, 
they're shutting down the uh, the critical thinkers. They're shutting down uh, good political analysis. They're shutting down, like you were, uh, like you mentioned, Crossfire a moment ago. Uh, they're literally, mm-hmm. Peter, shutting down the open market of free ideas by saying, if you uh, use these words or these phrases or or state this opinion about enormous events like Las Vegas or Broward County, et cetera, et cetera, we will simply delete you. And if you have not been uh, prescient and uh, and thoughtful enough to back up your archived material elsewhere, then we're going to delete your content uh, concurrent to deleting mm-hmm. your channel on YouTube, your account on Twitter, etc. Uh, two questions, Peter. The first, do you agree that the only option we have in the new media is to match dollar for dollar, fact for fact, article for article, hour for hour broadcast time? We've got to match and then supersede the the network media mindset. That's question number one. And then question number two, if you just take a moment or two to call upon your vast experience uh, all through the San Francisco years, the, the Los Angeles years, Peter, have you ever seen anything like this before with this enormously obvious censorship that's landed uh, uh, American citizens uh, in, in, in London uh, Heathrow Airport jails or it's taken guests of the Hagman Report and, and deleted their YouTube channels? Well, before I answer that, John, I want to say I read your articles. By the way, there's a message, message on my Skype screen saying Internet connection problems. Am yeah, I coming Peter, through okay? We can hear what you're saying, but there was definitely a change in the quality of audio. So I don't know. Maybe we should uh, have Eric reconnect with you. We'll, we'll, re- yeah, we'll, we'll call it, you back. It looks weird on my screen, and although, although the message just went away. So how does, is, it, is it sounding any better now? No, it's not, Peter. So we'll reconnect with you. All right. Why don't we try to reconnect? Okay, we will do that. And, um, folks, Peter Chowka, again, is a lifetime investigative journalist. He was, uh, in recent weeks on, on this show, has been telling <clears throat> stories about his time covering the Nixon administration during the Watergate scandal. And, you know, some of the, we hear in the mainstream news media, but like, they like to say how this, uh, President Trump and his administration is, you know, so much worse than the criminal Nixon administration. And Peter was there to cover that administration, and he details with us exactly, you know, how it's different and what is different. And, you know, just the outright lies and craziness of this media today. And one thing I, I love about Peter is, he does a great job with his media analysis and to sit there and transcribe, you know, to go through that stuff and to transcribe the, the Juan Williams, uh, uh, videos and, and sound bites and whatnot. That is not, uh, an easy task, not when you have to get every word correct. So we do appreciate his hard work and it sounds like we have you back, Peter, and it sounds like the sound is good. Hopefully it is. You never know with technology, uh, well, we anyway, are, John, I was saying, John, uh, are we okay? Does this sound all yeah, right Yeah, we're now? good. Yep, we okay. hear you great, Peter. Go right ahead. John, I read your, your latest article that came in at about 4,000 words, and with your other three, uh, soon you're going to have an e-book on your hands if you want to bring them all together. But uh, actually, be, part of the answer to this question is I wanted to point out at the outset, and I neglected to, that something is definitely going on with censorship, uh, which we're learning as we're going here. And I just want to point out my own personal experience here. I got on Twitter last August, and between August and uh, 
probably about a month ago, I was adding followers at a very consistent rate. For example, every time I would appear on the Hagman Show, I could count on anywhere from 25 to 100 new followers generated from uh, that audience and the new audience that was either tuning in, watching, uh, accessing the podcast. Well, starting about a month ago and uh, even before the little uh, uh, hiatus with the live YouTube stream happened, I was starting to lose followers, small numbers, nothing really major, not like a major hit. And uh, and since then, between American Thinker and my profile there, the Hagman Report, the number of new followers has plateaued for the most part. So I was going to encourage listeners and viewers tonight who uh, haven't visited my Twitter before to please go there. It's twitter.com slash p. Chowka, P-C-H-O-W-K-A. It's uh, hopefully illustrated on the monitor behind me. And uh, if you are on Twitter, if you have a Twitter account, please follow me and or retweet and like my tweets if you like them. How I use Twitter mainly is as a table of contents for my articles and my broadcasts and podcasts. I don't retweet a lot, although I might have to start doing that. But uh, actually, I don't really have a lot of time to retweet. It takes time to really amass these things and put them out there in a coherent way. But uh, I've built up a a loyal group of followers, but it really has appeared to uh, stop. And I wonder what's going on there. It just doesn't make sense. But it's kind of a hard thing to put your finger on because a lot of these techniques that are being used now to suppress uh, the Internet and free speech at the grassroots Internet and social media level are really hard to measure. You know, it, it's like the frog that's put in the pot of hot water and the heat is turned up very slowly, and before he knows that the frog is being boiled alive. I think that's what's happening to us here. And, you, John, you asked the question about this censorship, and it is occurring on two levels. It's occurring, occurring on the level of the mainstream media. There it is a self-censorship where about 95% of the mainstream media is blocking out important relevant stories while they are throwing up to us as lead stories this nonsense like uh, President Trump's alleged affairs with the porn star you know, they they are looking for any tidbit that they can throw out there to try to uh, smear President Trump, and that will be their lead story for the news cycle, while ignoring everything that uh, we've been reporting, that Doug is reporting on his morning show, that Sean Hannity and his colleagues are doing on his Fox program, and that's also abundantly available on the Internet via citizen journalists and publications like American Thinker, uh, The Daily Caller, uh, and, and other established conservative or right-of-center publications which have credibility and viability, and the things that we and they are reporting on are having a hard time getting out. So that's occurring on the big mainstream level, and now we have whatever is going on on the grassroots Internet level to take videos down off of YouTube to make it difficult for citizen journalists to share their information on social media. 
So we're having a full-spectrum assault on free speech in this country, and it's part of the attempted takedown of the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, and the Fourth Amendment. As I've been pointing out repeatedly, uh, the Fourth Amendment is also what, what they are uh, endangering here because the elephant in the room is the uh, abuse of the Fourth Amendment, where we are supposed to be secure in our own personal privacy, our papers, our conversations, and that went out the window years ago, in fact, with the rise of the NSA, the Edward Snowden leaked documents certainly put that on the map several years ago, and now attention to that has basically disappeared. There are other whistleblowers from the NSA, and, and this has been reported actually starting in the 1970s when books began to be published about the NSA. So now it's all come together in a new, awful, holistic picture, and we have the fight of our, of our lives on our hands with, in effect, the second American Revolution. The other night I, I, I reread uh, Thomas Paine's American Crisis uh, essay from December 23, 1776, and I thought, isn't that relevant because we're going through another American crisis now, and uh, we can take heart from what the original... Of revolutionaries in the American Revolution went through and how dark and bleak it looked for them and yet they started winning the battles and they won the war and they created a wonderful con country based on a constitution arising out of the Declaration of Independence before that. So we have a lot of re really good uh, grounding to work with here historically and, and also with the heart and soul of the American people that is still out there and is being touched and reached by the internet and social media, but but we do have the fight on our hands this year in particular. Peter, uh, this you know battle between the mainstream media and the alternative media, and really what it's been boiling down to is a battle of of truth versus lies, where we see you know the CNNs, the MSNBCs of the world have been you know talking about this phony Trump Russia collusion story and. Any and any piece of information they think will make the president look bad, as you have pointed out, is a breaking news headline, you know, on CNN. Well, we learned tonight that the Robert Mueller investigation is going to again expand its scope into looking into Donald Trump. And what the Washington Times is reporting is Mueller invokes unusual conspiracy to defraud government charge to ensnare more targets. And what the article goes on to say is that. No crime needs to be committed for Trump to be charged under this provision. Not only that, it says, unlike conspiracy to commit an offense, conspiracy to defraud the United States does not need to be connected to a specific underlying crime, and defraud is not defined by the law. What do you make of this? Do you, do you think they have the goal to actually use a provision like this to go after the president? I am afraid that they do. And these leaks, Joe, which are coming fast and furious, are obviously coming from uh, either right out of or very close to the Mueller investigation. I, I don't think they're making uh, this news up out of whole cloth. I think the leaks are coming from somewhere uh, more or less credible. Even if they are trial balloons, uh, there's somebody close to the power centers leaking this information. So... It's yeah. very, very disturbing. And, and uh, you know, I don't have an inside source into the Mueller investigation. I'm not going to pretend that I do. But I have a gut feeling 
having followed this case very closely and the Watergate scandal four and a half decades before that and other politics before and since, I have an awful nagging feeling that Mueller is going to go for broke here. He's going to have to justify the millions of dollars spent, all of the staff he's had in his employment for almost a year now, and his probably uh, inbred dislike or hatred as a representative of the shadow government in the deep state against President Trump that he's going to uh, to try to take him down. And if this takes the, the course of impeachment, that's also uh, amazingly a, a gray area, actually. Uh, I learned from uh, following the Fox News just completed series Scandalous, the seven-part series on the Clinton scandals, which culminated in President Bill Clinton's impeachment by the House in 1998 and his trial in the Senate in 1999, which he was acquitted of charges. And you wonder, how could he have been acquitted when he was clearly, uh, in the opinion not only of myself, but of, of the prosecutorial team, many members of uh, the House and Senate, and he, there were a lot of guilty votes in the Senate, that man was guilty of obstruction of justice, of lying under oath to a uh, sworn deposition, and and several other charges as well. And yet he was exonerated. And Richard Nixon, uh, at, at that time, 25 years earlier, uh, was no more guilty than Bill Clinton was, and yet Nixon was forced to resign, and had he not resigned in 1974, he would have almost likely been uh, impeached by the full House and convicted in the Senate, and that's why he left office to avoid that uh, that outcome. So, well, you know, it, it's if Mueller tries to present these charges uh, to either a grand jury or they lead to impeachment, and if, God forbid, the Democrats uh, win the election this coming fall and are in control of the House and maybe even the Senate, all bets are off at what could happen, and I think they're going to—they're really going to do their best to bring President Trump down. And, and Mueller is going to hand them the quote-unquote evidence on a single platter, and then it's up to—it's going to be a battle of PR— a battle in the news media, a battle at the grassroots of this country, which is because impeachment is a political battle. It's not a political trial. Excuse me. It's not a legal trial. It's a political trial, which is proven by the fact that Nixon was, was going to be convicted and Bill Clinton, guilty of pretty much the same thing, obstruction of justice, was found innocent. So, and meanwhile, uh, Clinton's popularity when he went into the impeachment trial was above 60% approval rating, incredibly. His, his approval rating in 1998 actually went up among the American people, supposedly, according to the respective polls of the time, despite his uh, all the dirt that came out about him with his relationship with Monica Lewinsky, the 21, 22-year-old intern who he had an affair with and that couldn't be said to be consensual at that. It was clearly... Uh, sexual abuse or harassment at the very least, but he was exonerated. So, you know, that's that's some of the history there, and it, it doesn't bode well for Donald Trump, unfortunately, in well, my opinion. Peter, you mentioned the, the battle of the public perception, and I would argue even right now, 
um, with how much CNN and the media have overplayed these, you know, quote unquote Trump scandals that even a real scandal at this point wouldn't be able to bring him down because I think the public is just so sick and tired of hearing uh, this nonsense and they've heard it for so long now. And I think if they were to bring it, if they say nothing else is uncovered, and I'm going to touch on the leaks in just a second, but say nothing mm-hmm. else is uncovered and they try to 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 drum up this charge of conspiracy, to, you know, to defraud the U.S. government and then try to lump Trump in there with a few other people, I don't think the American people for one second uh, are, are going to have any of it. And even as I said, even if Trump was guilty of some sort of, you know, scandal, and they brought the evidence to the American public. I'm not even sure the American public at this point would buy it. I think the battle, the PR, they've already lost the PR battle, but it's just getting worse for them the more that they continue to drag this out. And that's my my, my only, the only wild card in here is the 2018 midterm elections on how many seats flip, because at that point, if you get a Democratic majority in both the House and Senate, they will have the votes. But what you said about the leaking, Sarah Carter has her website, sarahcarter.com, mm-hmm. and she posted an article today. Uh, Jake Tapper and Clapper have some explaining to do. Apparently, there is a timing issue of a release uh, of the dossier between between former DNI Clapper and Jake Tapper, where it says that this could show that Jake Clapper was the one that released the dossier to CNN and gave it legs as uh, it was pushed on to CNN's Jake Tapper. So if her reporting is accurate, which it usually is very accurate, there might be um, you know more investigations or the focus of Jeff Sessions' reported investigations into the leaks might go Clapper's way. So that's very interesting. Right, and these leaks are felonies, actually, mm-hmm. when they involve uh, confidential or uh, secret material, as many of them have. And yet we haven't heard uh, th- that those investigations are really being followed up by the Department of Justice. Uh, you know, it looks, in my opinion, like the Department of Justice, even as we sit here now, more than a year into the Trump administration, is uh, a nest of spies for the shadow government and the deep state. And they do not pledge allegiance to the commander in chief. They are still part of the previous regime, uh, many of them. And it's, it's really a sad state of affairs. But um, I'm glad to, to hear your glasses half full analysis, Joe, because uh, that's the other side of the coin. I mean, I try to be hopeful. There are hopeful signs. I, I get them through, uh, for example, communicating with people who are reading my articles, commenting on them, direct messaging me on Twitter. I read all of those. I try to engage many of the people who I can communicate with, and I'm uh, extremely impressed with the uh, commitment that many so-called ordinary Americans have made to understanding what is going on in this country right now and, uh, and, and learning, ferreting out the information and sharing the information with their friends on Twitter and Facebook and with me. I'm getting leads from a lot of people on Twitter that are very helpful to my work. Obviously, no one person at this point can cover the waterfront and and be aware of everything that's happening. So I I welcome anyone to engage me on Twitter with anything that they are finding that they feel is important and don't assume that I've already seen it 
because I'm focusing on a certain number of things and we're all human after all. And, and I take great heart from that and I continue to uh, meditate and think about and try to research the uh, the question of how did Donald Trump really pull it off? You know, uh, I think, uh, John, didn't you mention in your piece yesterday that it was divine intervention was at work there? And I don't disagree with that at all, but I think that divine intervention took the form in many cases of this new novel uh, use of social media and the Internet and the alternative news uh, landscape to get the information out there in a way that had never been done before. Now, in the previous two presidential elections in 2008 and 2012, uh, the, the party line was that, oh, the Democrats and the Obama administration one-upped the Republican Party because they, the Democrats, had the, the biggest brains in terms of the social media of the time and getting their word out and identifying their supporters with their lists and their email lists. And, you know, that probably was true because look who was fronting the, uh, the races for the Republicans in the last in the previous two elections, John McCain and Mitt Romney. Yeah, well, there's, a, there's a couple of firecrackers for you. Uh, I'd like to, if we're gonna, if we're gonna build the uh, Republican clown car of the last 20 years, let's go ahead and put uh, uh, the Honorable Bob Dole uh, behind the wheel in the 10 and 2 position, Peter. <laughs> right, and you know, uh, I have to say, when I when I look back into my long career as an independent investigative journalist, I actually interviewed. Senator Robert Dole on several occasions. One time was in his uh, Senate office in 1977, I think it was. I could be off by a year there. And uh, he was very gruff and kind of bothered that he needed to get to the Senate floor. And I was taking photographs of him for an article that I was writing. And he just really wanted to be out of there. And on another occasion which is right around the same time, I was guest hosting a radio sh talk show on WMCA New York, which is a really major station then. In the 1960s, it was one of the two top uh, top 40 rock stations, and it had become a talk station in the 70s. So on a uh, September morning in September 1978, that was, I was guest hosting a show for a friend of mine, Gary Null, and I had Bob Dole on as a guest by telephone because he was with George McGovern, his colleague, chairing a committee on, uh, it was called the Senate Nutrition Select Subcommittee. And they were doing hearings and reports on the war on cancer and the, the vital role of nutrition, actually doing some pretty innovative and interesting work at the time. And he was much more uh, amenable during that talk show because it was a format he could relate to and he knew it was going out to thousands of listeners and he was preparing actually to run then in 1980 for president so he was looking for any publicity that he could get but by the time 1996 rolled around he was way past his prime and in fact recently I watched with some interest when uh, he was given a uh, congressional medal of some sort and he's well into his 90s now and he managed to make an appearance in the U.S. Capitol, and it was covered live on the news channels. And uh, he actually spoke uh, sitting in his wheelchair. They handed him a microphone, and I thought he actually 
rose to the occasion there. And, and my heart went out to him that at, at that advanced age, uh, he was still able to put on a performance in that moment and oh, pull it off. Absolutely. And of course, he is a he is a great patriot. In World War II, he was uh, gravely wounded uh, to the point of near death, and it took him a year, I believe, of hospitalization to begin to recover, and was left uh, with a uh, uh, lifelong paralysis, I believe, on his right side. So he had hardly any use of one arm and only partial use of the others. So it's not to put down his oh, no, no. heroism, his patriotism, but unfortunately he was a pathetic presidential candidate in 1996. <laughs> That's just the reality of it. And, you know, and again, it sheds a new light on, on Donald J. Trump. Uh, the more I have an opportunity to reflect on President Trump as, as a man before he ever became involved in politics, as a candidate in 2015 and 2016, and now as a president, my uh, respect for him grows daily. And and I think that he is the man for our times. Amen. He, he he's taking on the shadow government and the deep state wherever it lurks, and that is also in the Republican Party. I mean, we saw today in the news again was uh, Arizona's Arizona Senator. Jeff Flake, and what an apt name we have there. The other, individual. the other senator from Arizona, <laughs> right? Wow, and you know he's uh, he's making noises about possibly challenging uh, Donald Trump for the Republican nomination in 2020. Good luck there, Jeff. <laughs> Good luck, Peter. I want to I want to ask you a quick question, if I may, um, because uh, I, I'm again I'm curious. Uh, if you're so willing, let's put on our, our speculation caps for a moment and go back to what you were discussing a moment ago with uh, with Joe. This Mueller investigation, we agree, is completely run amok. Uh, and is it possible, Peter, that Robert Mueller could be taking a strategic play from James Comey's playbook vis-a-vis -vis the 2016 uh, ignominious defeat of Hillary Clinton and Mueller is going to stretch this thing out until the midterms this year, and then we'll get his uh, his quote unquote investigative findings. Do you think there's any possibility that that this? Because you mentioned a moment ago, and I like this quote: uh, "Impeachment is not a legal trial; it is a political trial." And I'm sure, Peter, that we agree. Although I will uh, defer to your opinion here, that what we're seeing uh, through this 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 just exhaustive Mueller show, uh, what we're seeing really is a political trial. It would not surprise me in the least if, uh, if the hammer falls right before the November elections. Uh, these people, Mueller et al., are capable of anything. They have no shame, and, and it is a, a battle for the hearts and minds of the American public as it's being fought out uh, on the front of the mainstream media, primarily. I mean, we tend to, th those of us who are into this 24-7 uh, and then some, uh, get most of our information now from the alternative media, from the Internet, from podcasts, from people we trust and in many cases know personally. And to some extent, we still get it from the mainstream media, from Fox News and certain times of the day. And I also like Real Clear Politics. They put out on a daily basis 
very credible articles, most of them from the mainstream or near mainstream, that are very much in sync with what we are finding and writing and saying here. But, uh, you know, the the fact is that the the enemies of President Trump have all their ducks in a row now. They have almost every aspect of American life in officialdom lined up on their behalf. And, and just a, a footnote on that in terms of how academia is uh, is in their in their camp. Uh, earlier today, I read an article uh, in the New York Times from yesterday, an op-ed by one of their reporters, whose last name I forget, but her, she's using as her first name Pagan, P-A-G-A-N. So I thought, whoa. This article is about alternative medicine, and it bashes alternative medicine from the point of view of this writer, that she looked into some leading lights of alternative medicine like Nathan Pritikin and Robert Atkins, and they died at an early age. Therefore, this proves that there's no value in the alternatives that they were preaching. Well, what a bunch of nonsense that is. And at the end of it, she showed her true colors when she, out of the blue, attacked Donald Trump for uh, for being an enemy of a scientific and medical research in his administration. So I thought, who is this person, this pagan person? So I started researching her, and of course one door opens on another, and before long I'm I'm looking into the people she's colleagues with, and most of them are hyper-left-wing academics, uh, many of them LGBTQ, with tenured positions as professors at some leading universities and I actually started reading some of their uh, published studies and in one of them I was interested because this uh, this author uh, published a, a, a paper on Dr. Martin Luther King he unearthed or came upon a letter, a private letter that Dr. King had written to Coretta his girlfriend at the time, in which he, King, said that he was an opponent of capitalism, I'm paraphrasing, and that capitalism was basically making the rich richer and the poor poorer. And this was in 1952 when he was 23 years of age and was letting his hair down to his girlfriend who he hoped to marry, so we could assume he was speaking the truth. And I've researched Dr. King a lot, and I actually encountered him and met him in 1964, but, you know, he did have a lot of communists behind him. I I have to give him certainly some credit, but I wish that we could really look at him objectively instead of as a godlike figure. But uh, but in in acquainting myself again, I mean, who, who has usually the interest and the time to start reading studies that these left wing professors are publishing? left and right to the exclusion of anything from the conservative point of view and it was literally making me sick reading what these people believe say publish and look like on their twitter pages or on their facebook pages so i thought well this this is how serious the downfall of academia is in our times it's totally in the tank as much as the mainstream media but we still have the hope of the heart, minds, and soul of the American people. We have our rich history to hopefully fall back on, and we have the truth on our side, and our weapon of 
disseminating the truth is the Internet and the social media for as long as we have it, and hopefully we will, but we're going to be reporting on how we may not be having it and what we have to do to ensure that we have it. And I know you mentioned in the first hour there's some stirrings that maybe uh, politicians are taking note of this, that is conservative politicians in Washington and elsewhere. And uh, although today I, I noticed that um, Tim Berners-Lee, who's in, I believe, his 60s now, who is accredited with being the uh, godfather of the World Wide Web, and it's now, I think, its 25th anniversary or thereabouts of that, he is quoted as uh, saying something somewhat disturbing that we need to regulate big tech. Well, that may sound good on the surface of it, but when I was reading his comments, and it's hard always to figure out what somebody's really saying when just reading some sound bites of them, but you know, when they start to talk about regulation uh, of this or that, I, I, I get worried. I mean, I, I think unfettered freedom and freedom of speech and, and freedom of these, uh, uh, these uh, methods we have of communicating now is what we have to ensure. And if YouTube and Facebook and Twitter start playing around with us, I don't know if we need regulation. We just need to, to tell them, hey, uh, don't go there. You know, free speech is enshrined in the First Amendment, and don't curtail it, pal. Yeah, you know, they don't really seem to care too much about that. I saw a piece, we covered a piece earlier about a poll that was done, uh, CBS mocks college snowflakes who don't understand free speech. Well, there was a poll done in the Washington Post talked about finding nearly four out of ten college students say it's okay to limit free speech if they don't like it. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on to say another 10% said it was acceptable sometimes to use violence to prevent someone from speaking. And the anchor, John Dickerson, says, well, it's like uh, they want to ban the... Uh, they, they like the food unless it tastes bad. It's that same mentality. But they don't understand the, the ideology and then the constitutional guarantee of the freedom of speech. We also see this with the Second Amendment. You know, every time we see one of these mass shootings or an incident that they can try to blame the Second Amendment on, uh, you know, they immediately attack it and go after that. And we see this constantly. And, again, this is what I was speaking to earlier. I think the American public, those who at least pay attention to the news more so than just a glancing pass at CNN or a newspaper headline here or there, understand. And these are the same people who voted for President Trump, who voted against the status quo and who wanted things changed in Washington. And I do have faith that, if and when Robert Mueller, uh, you know, brings his brings Trump in an indictment with these Russian bots uh, through some, you know, half-baked scheme law that they're trying to use that doesn't even need to connect to a criminal charge, I believe that not only will the, uh, the, the hopefully the Republicans in the House and the Senate stick up for him like we've seen with the House Intelligence Committee, but also that the American people will too. And I, I would hope that a removal of President Trump before his tenure is over would spark a revolution, uh, you know, violent or not, I don't know. But I, I sure do believe it would get people out of their chairs. And, Peter, that's what they're driving us towards. Many people ask, well, right. why would they do this? Is it civil war they want? Well, apparently it is, because they're trying to not only undermine and remove President Trump, but look at what they're doing to the Internet through censorship. I mean, now you have the Southern Poverty Law Center and the ADL working with YouTube to identify extremist content. I mean, this is like having CARE and the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, you know, moderating with YouTube to, to find extremist content. You can't put the, the, the 
most extreme hate groups in those places of power. Otherwise, of course, you're going to see things like people's YouTube channel getting censored. But I do believe that as we see them continuing to find ways to shut down the conservative speech, that this will also create new opportunities for those same content creators to find new ways to branch out and deliver their their content. I think there's a lot of truth in that, Joe, and I think we and millions of us are now revved up. We're paying very close attention. We know how to use these tools that are at our uh, disposal now on the Internet, social media, etc., information retrieval and dissemination. We're capable of doing our own research and thinking, and uh, it's going to be hard to put that genie back in the bottle. By the way, before we uh, conclude, I wanted to, I don't know if she's in the frame, but I wanted to introduce Lulu. Uh, she's taking one of her oh, we can see her. frequent naps here. Uh, we she saw was, the other she one. Was, we saw oh, the was other Biggie, one. Did Biggie yeah. make an appearance? So, yeah, they, they had she a had a harness or something it. on, it looked like. Yes, Biggie had a, a, a harness on, right, very good. And uh, uh, Peter, does, uh, does Biggie uh, oh, get taken? I'm sorry, but does Biggie get taken for walks? Is that what we were seeing on on Biggie? Does he get leashed yeah. up? We have attempted to train these <laughs> and some of our previous casts. I've tried to with harnesses, like and the first one, <laughs> whose name was actually Puma. I, it was funny last week when Doug introduced me and said he trains Pumas, and I thought, yeah, actually, uh, there was a cat here uh, years ago named Puma who did the best with uh, walking. Uh, on a leash, but cats are, are hard to train in that way. But uh, often a, a harness is applied to one or the other when they're a little too frisky and it kind of calms them down. It will also keep them from jumping on the table where they shouldn't be going. But yeah, that was Biggie earlier, and he had his uh, moment in the sun or on camera last week. And after that, I, several people uh, on Twitter sent me photographs of their cats. So a lot of people are really enjoying the look at the cats here. They're my support animals to a large extent and uh, apparently cats are very popular in the Twitter sphere so I would encourage anyone with uh, a cat or a picture of a cat go to my Twitter and direct message me a picture of your cat and um, oh, the other thing is I, I donned t tonight a different outfit this is of what I used to wear uh, as a gallivanting investigative journalist back in the day this, this garment is actually 30 years old it's the Banana Republic official journalist's jacket, 100% cotton. And it came in handy when I would be running around interviewing people, taking photographs, making recordings, because it has multiple pockets, which would hold uh, single-lens reflex cameras and lenses and portable recorders. And with a necktie, it looked like you were making a decent impression, but you weren't endangering your uh, suit jacket or your sport jacket with being damaged in the rough and tumble of uh, gumshoe journalism. So I'm trying to return to my roots here one there step at go. a time. Well, you know, there Peter, we are. We, we were taught, when, we, when you first came on, we were talking off air and we, we, we were wondering, we said, is that a, a like a spring jacket, a raincoat kind of jacket? What's, <laughs> what's, he go, what's going on there? No, it's, it's a very functional utilitarian. <laughs> These are the days nice. when Banana Republic, thank you. Banana Republic started, I think, in the mid-80s, and they were a safari clothing thing. It was, it was kind of hip then I because of the them. film Out of Africa for a while established this fashion meme. You know, Robert Redford and whoever else starred in that movie, they were running around Africa wearing. And this is also uh, people like Jack Hanna 
the animal handling expert who appeared on David Letterman and uh, Good Morning America multiple times, usually uh, carrying a puma or a, a baby cat or whatever. This was his signature outfit, this kind of journalist jacket. It's very utilitarian, and yet you look, you know, if you iron it and you wear a necktie, you look like you're ready to roll there and in, in no, polite great, company. Peter. So. Thank you so much for joining us. Another great hour, another great segment. Peter Chowka, again, you can find Thank his work, you. American Thinker. You can find it at Hagman Report, or go on Twitter and follow him at P. Chowka. That's at P. Chowka, and he joins us each and every Monday in the third hour. That'll do it for us tonight. want to say thanks um, to our guest, Peter Chowka. Yeah. We missed Sergeant Sangari. I don't know what happened with him. I think he had a meeting is what had happened. And then it, it, we double booked. And then Jim Hoft from the Gateway Pundit, such a great guest also. So that'll do it for us tonight. John, thanks for filling in. Yes, and I want to say special thanks to Doug Hagman. Doug, it's always a pleasure to fill in for you, sir. Thank you. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. The Doug Hagman Radio Show at 9, the Hagman Daily Show at 2, and Hagman Report at 7. Have a great night. Mm-hmm.